down episode number 63.3 and we are continuing and finishing our playthrough of Danganronpa v3 killing harmony and today i have with me matt hey guys and jay i have arrived Mm -hmm. so last we left off kibo was blowing up the entire place yeah, just just flying around with his jetpack and shooting lasers and rockets and things. Yeah, feeling very end of the gamey. Oh yeah, so, yeah, things are happening. Yeah, and um, I we we get a time limit for this part right here. Mm-hmm. First, did anybody hit the time limit? Yep, uh, twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is the time limit is real. Yeah, it is Two real. Times. I hit it once. And I was like, oh shit, this is for real. Okay. I figured it was just time was passing every time I finished an area. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what I figured too. So I was taking my time clicking on everything, talking to everyone, being very thorough, and then I, I, ran, I ran out of time. But they give you time, like right before when you went out, went out of time. So it's not too much of a time loss, thankfully. Yeah. 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 They just gave you more. As far as I know, you could just keep failing and they would just keep giving you more time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's there to just kind of make you more nervous and raise the stakes, not so much to just stop you in your tracks. Yeah. I'm like, when have I ever been uh, when have I ever been told not to investigate thoroughly? <laughs> exactly, right? It would it would be kind of contrary to everything we've learned so far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially when that music is kicking, you just want to you know, just learn all the things, you know? Just, come on. Especially if I'm the ultimate detective. Let me detect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear ya. Um, so at the beginning of this chapter, as we tend to do, we see a bit of a scene that, you know, kind of may or may not relate to what we're going through. And this one is very different from the other ones. It doesn't feature any of the characters that we're familiar with. It stars this kid. He's kind of downtrodden. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's in school. He's feeling depressed. He's talking about how he wants to run away from everything. But he says he's okay. Because he's got something great that he can look forward to. And he looks into his cell phone and he seems very, like, enchanted by it. Like, he's looking at something that he really loves. We have no idea what he's looking at, but this is a scene that we start out with. Kind of setting the tone for all the revelations to follow. Because when you guys saw this for the first time, what, what, was, what were you guys thinking? I, I was thinking this was in the past and this was somebody as a kid. Right. Maybe like Shuichi as a kid or something like that, right? I was thinking either Shuichi or Makoto, to be honest mm. with you. Interesting. Because he kept talking about, like, I, I still got hope. I still got hope. That's true. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, Makoto, Makoto. 
<laughs> little little ultimate hope in the making, perhaps, right? Yeah. Okay. What about you, Matt? Uh, I don't remember. Was this after we had seen the scene with Shuichi talking to the kid? Was that the same kid? Uh, no, that, that happens afterwards. Okay. Uh, but it's certainly, I know what scene you're talking about. I think uh, it looks very similar, if not identical to the kid. So at this point, we're basically trying to... Uh, Talk to Kibo. We're like, holy shit, Kibo, what the hell are you doing? You're blowing everything up. You're going to kill everybody. And we kind of convinced Kibo, uh, you know, by saying, like, he wants to end the killing games by blowing the whole place up. And if it means killing himself and everyone in it, he's willing to do that. But before he does that, we have a lot of mysteries that still need to be solved. We have some truth that needs to be revealed. So Shuichi kind of convinces Kibo to give him some time in order to kind of go through the uh, the places that they weren't able to go through before, learn new information, and maybe basically oust the mastermind for who he or she might be and end the killing games uh, without without the violence, right? And we do get a time limit, as we said, and it does run out. Like if you're if you're too slow in getting from place to place, if you take too much time in uh, uh, kind of exploring one area, then you will run out of time and you will have to start over from a certain point. But it's not too too big of a deal, really. Uh, but the first place that uh, we decide to, uh, or rather, we are able to explore, is that we find out that uh, during the battle between the Kibble and the Exocells, and did you guys actually go outside and see Kibble flying around with the Exocells yeah. and stuff? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was pretty cute. I thought it was just going to be you know, limited to only like the CG and stuff like that, but they put some budget into it, which I can appreciate. Yeah, I also didn't expect to actually see anything out there. Yeah, uh, so it's pretty well done. So right by the main hallway, or the main hall where the entrance is, the, the giant hole has opened up through the uh, through the battle between the Kibo and Dexocells. And we go inside the the uh, the basement, basically, and we find a new ultimate lab, a lab of a student that has passed in the last class trial, the lab of the ultimate supreme leader. And uh, we see a lot of information here that we didn't see. It seemed like when you guys were looking at this place for the first time, right? Because we have an, we have, we all have our idea of who Kokichi was and the kind of person that he was. So when you saw the lab, what were you guys thinking? Like, you know, did it fit him or did it not fit him? Or I thought it was a very cartoony version, um, which this game is kind of cartoony in some ways, but it looked like a James Bond villain's lair, right? Doctor Evil. Yeah, it- and they make a bunch of references to that. Why does this look so cliched? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks very flashy. It looks like he's got like the olden like Batmobile for some reason, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a symbol uh, or, or a series of letters called dice on top of this uh, this like floating like like really flashy looking chair. It's kind of like what a what a kid's imagination of an evil organization would look like from a Saturday morning cartoon. Is what it looks like. So it doesn't really seem as sinister as he made it out to be. Um, and uh, yeah, we also find another important clue, and this is about with a book that details the events of Hope's Peak Academy, mm-hmm. talking about the both the events of Hope's Peak and uh, Jabberwock, basically, and what happened there. And uh, the information seemed uh, a little bit odd, contrary to what uh, what Shuichi remembers. And he also asked Maki about her memories of the events, and he basically kind of confirms some questions that he has about their memories. Uh, but uh, you know, they you know, they decide not to dwell on it too much. And this because of uh, the fact that Kokichi is now dead, we want to learn more about him. Now that we've explored his ultimate life, we want to go to Kokichi's room. But just as we were about to leave, we 
get a new memory. It seems as though the, the flashback light that Monokuma used at the end of Chapter 5, right after the trial, has a residual effect. Every... Do you think it was just delayed an amount of time, or do you think it was triggered? Um, I think it was delayed amount of time, but also at the same time, it does seem pretty convenient to when it triggers, so I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't clarify that both points. But either way, what it is that a memory would trigger after a certain time has passed or certain events have passed. And this first memory is um, Shuichi kind of sitting at this park bench. And a child walks up to him and asks him if he's one of the participants of the Gopher Project. And he says that, like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just a normal student, you know. Uh, and I heard all the Gopher Project students were killed anyway. And the kid says, like, no, those guys are heroes. They wouldn't die that easily. Kind of going into the idea that how they re- erase their own memories as ultimates to run away from the Gopher Project and verifies that idea. And uh, we basically go into Kokichi's uh, lab, and we find a monopad. And uh, do you guys remember what the monopad detailed? Yeah, it was yep. um, Kokichi's uh, motive. Yep, all the people that were most important to him. Mm-hmm. And it was his group that he led, all ten of them, and they were fucking jokes. Yeah, they all they did was, uh, you know, the pranks and non-violent jokes, you know, those yeah. kind of things, yep. what they were specialized in. Doesn't sound very much like a you know evil organization. You know, sounds seems like just kind of like a harmless uh, prankster group, um, organization known as Dice. And the 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 video kind of showed that they might be in danger, and that would be mo- kind of like a motivation for Kokichi to want to explore. And uh, I mean, I mean, kind of leave the place so he can find out what's going on for to his followers. So Kokichi's information about having tens of thousands of followers was a lie. But uh, Kokichi lying about things is something that we've expected. Or perhaps he just never tells the truth, you know? So, yes, he was, a, he was a leader of an organization, but he was very much smaller in scale, and he wasn't nowhere near as evil as he made it out to be either. And like the other kid, thing... Kid with a tree fort or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, it's also kind of funny because the, uh, the followers look more like adults than kids, right? So they... Yeah. But... Uh, regardless of the reason why they followed him, but maybe, maybe they're just a group of people who just like to have fun. Uh, and we also find some blueprints of things like like some gear and equipment and things like that. And uh, this is kind of giving the basis of the idea of how Kokichi had the idea of creating the electrobombs and the electrohammer that he gave to uh, Mio to make. And um, since there's still a lot of files to look at, uh, Maki decides to stay behind, but she also discovers an envelope that says, this isn't a will. But it was since it was written by Kokichi, we can assume that this is kind of a will, something that he's kind of leaving behind on the on the chance that he, he died. And he kind of details a say, uh, something that says, the location of the second message. Mm-hmm. And we don't really know what he's talking about because we don't, you know, we haven't seen anything yet. So we kind of just keep that in mind and just kind of move to the next place. Uh, and we look at the the, cor- the courtyard, which is uh, where the the message was detailed, and we find the message on the wall, just like it said. And the message said "Twins B." And um, we're just looking at him. We're like, "What the hell does that mean?" Right? We don't know. We don't know what that means. And uh, at the same time, we also get a new memory. That um, that kind of tells us or shows us having an interview with someone who is clearly Makoto Naegi, 
from uh, Danganronpa <laughs> 1, who has become the, the ma- uh, headmaster of Hospic Academy. And this details their kind of decision to go back to the Gopher Project after you know regaining their, their memories, uh, volunteering to be on the project once more, and uh, kind of shouldering the hope of the people. And uh, at this point, we, we get uh, Kibo's assistance. So, and he says basically, like, if you need access to a place you couldn't get into, I'll come down, help you out, I'll blow up the place, and then you can just enter. He also allows you to kind of go around or fight, like, XSL. So if you see an XSL kind of blocking your way, you can call him in, and he'll, uh, he'll fight it for you, and he'll just go away. And uh, we are... The first place that we wanted to go from the previous chapter right away was obviously the lab of Ron Taro, right? Of the uh, the student whose uh, ultimate skill that we did not know. Mm-hmm. So we asked Kibo to blow up the door and we enter in. And um, what, what were you guys thinking? What did you see? I was kind of... Well, to be honest with you, I was slightly disappointed. Mm-hmm. But when I was looking at it, I was like, is this like the ultimate thief's place? Because, you know, like, there's this big safe there mm-hmm. and it looks like somebody's been drawing, like, you know... You know, like, you see in, like, cop shows where they do, like, the the map with the strings and shit like that. I was like, okay, so this mm-hmm. is, like, somebody's planning something, like a heist or something like that. Um, But uh, we find out a little bit later that this is not a thief. Um, But there's a laptop there, uh, mm-hmm. but we don't know but, what to do with it. Yeah, but uh, we, as Drew said, there's this giant safe in the wall. And we notice that it has these symbols, and they pertain to the Zodiac. You know, they have, like, the symbols of the rat, the dog, the dragon, the Chinese Zodiac, and also the standard... What do you call the regular Zodiac? Is that just something Zodiac? Because they're both a Zodiac, right? I think it's regular and, like, the Chinese Zodiac, right? Okay, I guess it's regular. That sounds very disrespectful to... Disrespectful to Chinese people. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay. okay. Is that sure. weird but I, Chinese I know exactly zodiac? What <laughs> but what if the Chinese zodiac came first? It may have. Then, yeah. So it's like the Chinese culture has been around for. You know, Is it Greek? Thousands of years. Is it Greek zodiac? Yeah, maybe that sounds that sounds pretty correct. Maybe so. Yeah. Uh, but that happens to be the zodiac that more fe- more people are, uh, you know, I guess accustomed to, right? So you have the things like. Uh, Taurus, Cancer, Gemini, and stuff like that. And when we thought we thought of what the combination might be, and we don't have time to check twelve times twelve, you know, amount of combinations. We can't just sit there, uh, especially although because, that really wouldn't take all that long. <laughs> it, but it would still take, still take hours. Yeah, un- under their time limit, it would. Well, yeah, no, it yeah. wouldn't take hours. It would take minutes. Ah, depends on how fast you can do it, I suppose. Uh, I don't think it's minutes. So you gotta be moving those because, like those those bolts are supposed to be heavy, right? You gotta be, they're huge. But uh, either way, they don't have a lot of time. And we thought to ourselves, what kind of clue do we have? And we remember the message twins B, and we noticed that there are two uh, two uh, input points, and the second one B included one that featured the Gemini, which would you know obviously allude to the twins being B. And we tell to ourselves, what, what's the code for the first one, the Vault A? And we remember that the very first message that was written on the courtyard before Kokichi started to uh, ride over it was Horse A. 
And at that point, we can just basically figure out that, uh, you know, the horse uh, being the first code for A. And Kokichi was basically trying to cover up the fact that this was a hint at all. Maybe either just, just for funsies or maybe trying to make sure that the, the mastermind doesn't realize what this is or the, the significance of it and try to erase it. So maybe he decided to cover it up this way. But that is unclear because it's Kokichi and everything he says is about lies. And uh, we get a USB stick and thankfully we have a laptop. Right here, just to just to watch whatever's in it, and it, it features a video. And in this video, it is the full video of that video clip that we watched at the beginning of I think chapter four or three, one three, of those chapters. Yeah, and uh, it basically details Rantaro talking to himself. It's a message that he recorded for himself, the himself that would have had his uh, memory erased. And he basically said that um, this video is a part of a special perk. You know, because it's called the Survivor's Perk. Yeah, there's because, two parts to it. Yeah, yeah. He, and uh, he is the ultimate survivor. And he, um, you know, he, he won the right to enter another killing game. And he wanted this. And he wants to end the killing games for whatever reasons. And uh, the perk being this video and something else, we don't know what the other thing is yet. But he says you can use this to end the killing game if you're if you're smart about it. But it also gives a lot of doubt to what he was really talking about. Um, because, you know, of the way he died and what he was doing. So maybe it'll shine some light into what um, what he was tr- really trying to accomplish. Uh, and we also remember that, wait, if he had the survivor perk and there was something out, then it should be with the rest of his belongings in his room, right? Yeah. So we, sail and, uh, we send uh, Himiko over there to check it out while we go do some other stuff. And then we get another new memory. And this time, it features Kyuichi's friends. And they're kind of cheering him on to kind of go on the Gopher project. One of them seems to be sick from the virus, and they're kind of basically saying like, "Hey, man, you gotta, you can do it. You know, no matter what happens, you know, you gotta, you gotta carry on the hope." And basically, kind of cheering him on, uh, giving him more confidence to do what he needs to do. And at the same time, Sumuki appears, and she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, I found this weird room inside the ultimate astronaut's room," and she's freaking out about it. So we basically follow. We follow her, and we get into this room, and it's got lines of these pots. And they seem to be these, like, cold sleep pots uh, that, you know, like you would use when you're going. It looks very sci-fi, right? Yeah, it's too bad uh, Kibo didn't go crazy earlier. Maybe we could have found all this stuff out before everybody died. I know, right? Like, when uh, when he decided to arm himself and just start blowing everything up, uh, messed the things up over for the mastermind. But, uh, unfortunately, it happened when it did. Uh, and then we also get a memory that kind of correlates to the exact place that we're at. And Matt, I think uh, your theory of it triggering in certain places have more meaning here. Because yeah. the memory that we're getting for this place is specifically tied to this place. It's a memory of them right before they got into the cold sleep pods, like meeting together and talking about what they're going to try to accomplish when they get out of cold sleep. So, um, yeah, maybe it is tied to where they were. Um, we also find an interesting document that's kind of sitting, you know, wide out in the open. And it details the profiles of each of the Gopher Project's um, participants. And one new information that Sumugi points out is that Kaede apparently had a twin sister. And she mentions that, isn't that, isn't that just like Junko? Didn't Junko also have a twin sister? How suspicious. Yeah, very, very suspicious, you know. It's, it's almost like it's trying to tie it into something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, yeah, uh, you were saying? Nope, I was just getting more excited that oh. that we were going to get the mastermind somebody from the old games. 
Yeah, 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 because uh, it certainly points to it, right? It being uh, some kind of twin sister. Maybe she was a twin sister of someone from a previous Danganronpa game or something like that. Um, and the other place that we definitely want to go into, and this is a, this is throwback all the way to chapter one. You know, we haven't talked about this place. We haven't been to this place. This place has been kind of out of our minds. And it is that hidden room in the library with the car oh, key. Oh, time. I know, right? It's it's kind of like that basement in the uh, in Attack on Titan, if you guys know what the reference is. But there is this place they they keep referring to, or they mention once as this focal point place of being of the utmost importance, and they just kind of forget about it for like the entire season, and then eventually they mention it again, and then you know kind of comes back in. But it it, it felt that way. Uh, and we met. We go to the library and we meet up with uh, Maki there. And she mentions that she found an interesting uh, blueprint of a of a tool that uh, Mew made, but she, you know it didn't seem like they got a lot of use out of it. And it's called the bug vac, and uh, it allows them to kind of capture bugs and stuff like that and put them in a container so they can observe them. Because I guess Kokichi wanted to investigate the claim of a Gunta who said that he saw these very tiny bugs. But Maki uses it. He doesn't. She doesn't see anything. It's like, ah, I guess it doesn't do anything. Well, that's kind of a, you know, that's kind of a bummer. And Himiko also shows up too, and she says like, you didn't find any kind of item at uh, Rantaro's room. So we basically blow up the hidden room's door uh, with thanks to Kibo, and we enter in. And uh, do you guys remember what we found there? A severed head of Monokuma. <laughs> <laughs> A giant severed uh, head. Yeah, giant yeah. Monokuma. Yeah. It's uh, Mother Kuma. Yeah, yeah. It's a appropriate name, I would say, because it kind of oversees everything that's going on in this place, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it knows everything, and uh, apparently it's kind of bragging about its own abilities. And it said, oh, man, I can even make copies of Monokuma anytime I want. All I got to do is copy my AI onto a blank Monokuma and just presto. Another Monokuma. And the guys, you know, Shiwichimaki, Sumugi, like Himiko, they don't, they don't believe him. It's like, no, you can't do that. So they give, they're like, no, go ahead. You give birth to a Monokuma. You know, you, you make another one. Fine, fine, fine. And then Monokuma's like, the Monokuma's like, no, I'm not going to just do it for anybody, you know? I don't, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm not just going to make one for everybody. Uh, so whatever. But they also find the Monopad, uh, which is kind of caked in blood. With what it looks like, uh, kind of like a finger, like uh, like a handprint on it, and uh, it apparently is the other half of the survivor's perk that was given to Rantaro, and it basically has all this information, all the map information of the hidden areas uh, in the in the hope uh, in the in the academy, and it also shows the area which is the hidden area by the library, and that's why he knew about the information about this place without having to investigate it like uh, Shuichi did. And a note to himself also was featured in the monopad. And it basically said, your best chance to find out who the mastermind is and end the killing games is to try to kind of corner them when they need to make more monokumas. Because that's when they'll need to try to go into this room. So that's what he was trying to do, it seems. That he was, uh, because right before the, the timeline was up and the mastermind would have wanted to create more Monokumas to kill the survivors, that's when he could have kind of faced the, the, the mastermind straight up right there. And, uh, that's, that's basically something that he wanted to do, but it didn't work out, unfortunately, as we know. And, um, in the trash can, we also find a shot put ball. Throwback to chapter one once again. And there's a pink fiber on it for whatever reason. 
but we're not we're not entirely sure why there is lone shot put ball with a piece of fa- uh, you know pink fiber inside the trash of the uh, the hidden room. And uh, we get a little memory here, and this kind of details what happened right after we got out of the cold sleep. The Monokuma details like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've infiltrated this place. You guys are going to do a killing game. I'm going to make you guys lose all your memory with this blackout light. And, uh, yeah, you just kind of remembered basically everything up to this point, everything that you need to know, everything that has happened, everything that uh, that led to this point. Chronologically speaking, we basically have the full picture of, of what, what, what kind of occurred. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we're kind of uh, trying to leave the hidden room, but there's some explosions thanks to Kibo and the XXL's fighting some more, and Himiko gets trapped in the hidden room because uh, the rubble blocks the uh, the exit out. And we're like, ah, oh, shit, we got to help out Himiko, but there's nothing they can do right now because if Kibo tried to blow up the entrance and Himiko was there trying to, you know, uh, you know, move some songs out of the way, she could get blown up and killed too. So he says, like, it's best if we just wait it out for now. So we decide to kind of go out and talk, uh, I mean, investigate an area that Kibo noticed while he was flying around. A uh, place called Class Classroom C, I think uh, it's like on the first or second floor or something like that. And we go there, and it's just covered in dust, uh, like desks all over the place. We kind of have to knock them out. And we notice this hidden computer console there. And um, we basically find out that it is a device that allows... Um, someone to make a flashback light. You're able to input what memory that you want the person to recall and then just kind of uh, just make a flashback light that does exactly that. Which seemed a little odd because you're able to put in a, a whole variety of information. It's not just like return this person's memory of this, you know? Yeah. It's just like you're Con- able contradictory to... Contradictory information. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. very contradictory information. You're able to very... You're able to fine-tune the memory that they would be able to recall, kind of using it in your own way. So that brings up some questions. But at the same time, while we're pondering this, Himiko shows up out of nowhere. She opens the door, and all of a sudden, the, the computer console hides itself. Like, it, like, transforms, and then it kind of goes dark. And then she's uh, he's like, ah, oh, I'm back. And then we're freaking out, because, like, we don't know how Himiko left, uh, left the room, because basically, um, she was trapped. But apparently, um, she, had, she found another exit out. A passageway leading out from the hidden room, from uh, to the to the to the girls' bathroom on the first floor. Yeah, once again, not magic. <laughs> yeah, they're not magic. She kind of wanted to be, wanted it to be magic, but we're like, Himiko, please, we we Come really on. don't have time for this Give it right up. now. Yeah, we really don't have time. So she just kind of lets it out, and you're like, okay, wow, so there, there's a hidden room there. Um, yeah, it's um, it's, it's it's pretty interesting at that point. And at this point, we kind of want to do um. Uh, was it? Uh, oh, we also go back to the hidden room of one last time, and we kind of grill Monokuma for some information. He's like tipped over. He's about to be deactivated. He's like, dude, I don't care anymore. I'm about to die. So he says that, oh, well, if you know, if you need to to make more Monokumas, you should have, you know, you needed to you the right person needed to use the keyword birth, and uh, you know, it's just kind of uh, something that's very important because only the mastermind is able to command Mother Kuma. Which which makes sense because you you wouldn't want a random person to just kind of come across Madakuma and start giving weird commands or something like that. And after this, we basically have all the information that we're ever gonna get. Maki comes back. Uh, she has the information of the. Uh, she brought some more evidence of the first case from um, from Kokichi's room 
This one pertaining to Rontero. One featuring his picture, well, right before he died, especially, because that's what Shuichi asked for. And Shuichi basically, at this point, calls down Kibo and uh, Monokuma and the Monocubs and says, All right, I demand a class trial. You know, I have I have a lot of information. I have things that I want I want to figure out, and the class trial is the only way we're gonna finish this. And Kibo says like ah, I don't know, guys. I'm not sure if it's good. I should just maybe finish it. But then in the end, he kind of decides that okay, fine. Let's just let's just go go through with this class trial and see what we can do. So he disarms himself, and um, the Mono Cubs kind of take him away, and uh, to just kind of remove all of his excess equipment. And uh, we wait in front of the the typical room right before the class trial. And Maki, uh, you know, Maki has that st- uh, that that was it, uh, the bug vac still. Yeah. And Kibo shows up, and he's got his little antenna thing again, the ohoge. And uh, he says, "Yeah, like I, I'm feeling much better, guys. I can hear my inner voice again, nice, loud, and clear. And I'm really sorry about what I tried to do. You know, I didn't I didn't really want to hurt you guys or blow the place up. Um, but uh, you know, that just it just seemed right at the time." And Kibo says, "Like, wait, you know, I, you got a, you got a bug back there. I can, I can kind of see what, what you're looking at there." And he uses kind of a zoom functionality that the robot has, and he's able to deduce that there are these very, very tiny, microscopical flying monokumas called nanokumas. And when he interrogates them, he learns that they're kind of like this, based on this hive mind, and they're able to film. And document information that is sent to Mother Kuma, who then parses that information and gives it to the to the mastermind. Can, so can we? Oh, go ahead, Matt. Uh, I was just going to say that because they call them the sixth monocub, do we assume that these nano Kumas were not around in the first two games? Um, I don't think any monocubs were available in the first two games. There's, there right. was always cameras there around. There was always cameras. You always right. saw yeah. cameras, and that was just the thing. normal cameras. I'll always, mm-hmm. I never brought it up, but I always thought I was like, you always see monitors, but you never see any cameras. I'm thinking, well, maybe the yeah. cameras are on the monitor somewhere. Um, but I need to, I, like, I have to paint a picture here okay. because these nano cubs. Look like little Monokuma bears with wings, and they're holding like a old school VHS <laughs> fucking camera. Very tiny, yeah, yeah, they are. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yes, yes. I think from a visualization standpoint, that is the clearest way of what their design is supposed to be, right? They're like tiny bugs that fly around and film things. Mm-hmm. And by giving that, giving that visualization of these Monokumas with wings, with giant fucking cameras that wirelessly transmit information somehow. To the mother, uh, mother Kuma was it was a good way to do it, but it, it was kind of comical. Yeah, I was like, okay, it. sure. <laughs> yeah, at this point, you know, I'm I'm all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there's you know, there's no suspension of belief anymore, man. Come on, this mm-hmm. is that that's that that's a, that ship has sailed ages ago. We're done. We're 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 here right now. We're at the end of it. You know, anything goes. So this is it, guys. This is the final trial. We're we're going we're going straight into it. There's no there's not going to be any breaks here after we get to this point. So right before we go, I got to ask you, what were you guys feeling? What were you guys thinking at this point? Matt, go ahead. Just waiting for Junko to come back. <laughs> yeah, uh, Junko's quite the popular character. Everyone just really wanted to see her again. Yeah. Yeah, I just assumed that you know either she was the mastermind or somebody like combating her was the mastermind. Mm-hmm. You know, still kind of sticking to that. All right, the mastermind is somebody from a previous game. 
most likely her because she's been showing yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she was the mastermind the last two games, right? So it, it makes sense that. Uh, but at the same time, it also would seem kind of lazy the third time well, that, around. You know? Yeah, that's why I kind of thought it was you know she was going to be around and then it was going to be somebody else like Makoto coming back as her nemesis, being the mastermind for some weirdly backwards reason. Mm-hmm. I as far as me. I mm-hmm. I don't know what I like. I thought okay, we're gonna resolve Rontaro's murder. I, I kind of figured sure. that out like originally. Once we found the shot put ball in the trash, I was like, okay, so the mastermind actually went and killed Rontaro. Um, but as far as who is the mastermind, I honestly mm-hmm. had no idea. I was thinking they brought up the whole Coyote had a twin sister, and I'm like, God, please don't do that fucking cop out. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was, thinking, I was like, God, that is such a fucking cop out. And um, I don't know, because, you know, they kind of did that in the first game where. Well, but, but at the same time, that was the first time they've ever done it because it was the first game, right? And they've right. done that in such a way to kind of mess with your expectations. I thought it was done very well in Danganronpa 1 anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. I honestly didn't. I didn't Were you guys feeling good about your theories at this point, though? Yes and no. Yeah, for the most part. Okay, what do you mean by yes and no? That's curious, Drew. Well, I I felt like some things were already kind of falling apart. Okay. But at the same time, I was like, there still could be some of this in here. Like, yeah. like my biggest thing was, all right, so Rentaro's message, which I thought was for Suichi, was actually just for him. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, so th- maybe this whole killing game is for Suichi to become like a, a, a good detective since he's only a detective in training kind of thing. Um, I didn't see, I didn't see any of this this about to transpire coming. <laughs> I at, don't think anyone in the all. world did at, at all. No one, no. If you're listening to this and then you haven't played the game and you've just been kind of listening to this as a basis for following along with the story. You are not prepared for what you're about to hear. Yeah. Just, just, so like I said to Jamie, just hold on to your socks. Cause things are going <laughs> to happen. Um, so yeah, going, going straight into the trial. So basically we have to point out, Monokuma says like, well, no one's died. What, why are we in this trial again? Shuichi, like, what's the point? You know, what are you, what are you even trying to accomplish here? And Shuichi says, said, well, I have some new evidence. I have some new information about Rentaro's trial. The chapter one trial, the very first trial of them all. And yeah, he he's said, got a very specific goal here. He does. You know, his whole obviously he's not just going to call a class trial for no reason. So he's got mm-hmm. he's got plans. Yeah, yeah. And basically, if he brings to light that the first trial was uh, was kind of done by the mastermind to uh, was rigged, right? Maybe that could mean that the game has no symbols, uh, no like precedence for being there. It's like it doesn't matter. That the game yeah, essentially, if it's not following its own rules, then, yeah. then it, it doesn't count. It, should, it kind of short circuits. And he is under the belief, and as we all are, that other people are watching, right? And they would not be satisfied or they would not be happy with the fact that, you know, the rules aren't being followed. Otherwise, what's the point of having all these rules? Why not just, you know, make them just kill kill each other for no good reason, right? Yeah. So we go straight into it, basically. And at this point, we want to detail and talk about Rentaro's uh, objective and his... Uh, talent as the ultimate survivor and we basically kind of talk about his idea of how to end the game and um yeah he 
what what he wanted to do is basically by using the information on the monopad and the clue that was left by himself throughout the video and the little thing, a uh, little excerpt, it was almost like an email or something that he left to himself. He figured out that the best time, the best opportunity that he had to end the killing games and oust the mastermind once and for all was when the mastermind needed to go ahead and uh, create another Monokuma. And that's why he was over there. And uh, Monokuma says, like, well, well, none of that, his motivation doesn't matter at all. The matter of the fact is, he was the only person in the room, and the only person who could have killed him was Kaede. But now, with all the things that we've learned, we know for a fact that he wasn't the only person. Why? Because the monopad that was in the hidden room, it was taken from where his body was. And we know that because of the blood pattern on the uh, the monopad. If the monopad was simply stolen from his room while he was sleeping or something like that, then his blood and his fingerprints, exactly the way he was holding them the moment right before he died, wouldn't have been placed in such a way. So we can basically deduce at this point that um, that the killer was able to basically sneak up on uh, on Rontaro when he was kind of distracted by the camera that Kaede put. And we also know that the shot put that Kaede used actually missed. It didn't hit its mark at all. Because the shot put that actually was rolled from Kaede with the pink fiber on it was in the trash can without a single drop of blood on it at all. So what happened is that Yes, Kaede wanted to kill the mastermind exactly the way she wanted to do it. But her plan was a lot to do with luck, right? Yes, she, she took a lot of precautions. She made a lot of like a lot of situations wherein it might have worked, it could have worked, but there was absolutely no guarantee that it, it would have worked. And what happened is that what the the mastermind realized by the information that she was getting from the nano cubs, you know, uh, kind of getting forwarded to the mother Kuma, is that if Kaede did kill Rontaro, good. The killing games have started, and things can go into full screen. But at, unfortunately for the mastermind, Kaede's shot missed. So it was up to the mastermind uh, to basically kickstart the game by framing Kaede for a murder that she actually didn't commit. And uh, at this point, I was feeling pretty bad because. The circumstances of Kaede's death was sad enough already about her being executed the way she did and what she wanted to accomplish. Knowing that she died f- being framed by the uh, by the mastermind made her made her death feel even sadder, you know. True, and very true. Me even more. Except, mm-hmm. it actually made me feel better in one way, which mm-hmm. was I never liked the fact that there was so much coincidence involved. Anyway, yes, yeah, I had yes. a problem with the fact that oh, she just got lucky. And the sounds covered up the sound of the shot put ball rolling through the vents. Yeah. That's and all that, that, that true. That bothered me, except now I know she just wasn't that good at killing people. You know, <laughs> no. here, here's the other thing that I never mentioned, but I was thinking in the back of my mind. I don't give a damn if you dropped a shot putt on somebody's head that wouldn't kill them. You'd have to, like, hardcore knock the hell out of them. I actually did research into that because I was curious about the exact same thing, Drew. Yeah. And I looked at the average weight of a shot putt and the amount of distance and the the amount of the force that it would have traveled onto someone's head, it would have been enough to instantly kill them. That is that much is true. Ah, man. You're underestimating how heavy a shot putt ball is, dude. It's about like, what, six pounds, right? (laughs) It's like like 25 pounds, dude. A shot putt is 25 pounds? Look it up. An Olympic shot putt is about 25, 35 pounds. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's fucking crazy, but it is what it is. Those things are tightly packed. They're very dense, yeah. and they're very, very heavy, and they will fucking murder you if you get hit with one of them. But to uh, me, like, that really fit because, you know, I, I didn't like that part of it, and it turns mm-hmm. out, you know, it, it was just just kind of luck anyway. It didn't matter because she didn't kill him. Mm-hmm. And also that – even that in itself makes sense to me because she's not really a killer. Yeah, yeah, very much true. And also, one thing that you guys are not mentioning, I assume you guys forgot, but I will give you props here, is that during the uh, the the preceding trial and our discussion of the first trial, one of the things that you guys got really hung up on. Yeah, I that, absolutely did not forget. This really okay. bothered me as well. <laughs> was the was the idea that there might have been another passageway into the hidden room, and the killer could have come out of the hidden room, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fucking and no it, shit, guys. I mean, it's... Yeah, obviously. <laughs> the reason why my my understanding or my excuse at the time, maybe trying to kind of cover up this whole thing coming up later down, right, was the idea that they didn't have any clues of there being a passageway. So as long as you don't have any clues of there being one, you can't make the assumption that there definitely is. But I understood at the same time you guys think there could have been one because there right. was no evidence against it either. Yeah, right? there, and there was no discussion. Had they said, well, you know, or, I mean, a, a mysterious room is too much not to have a discussion about. Exactly. And they yeah, didn't, didn't go into enough detail about it. as They, uh, they dismissed it almost. It was either mm-hmm. ignorant or, you know, obviously the game needed us not to focus on that room, but I, I still don't love that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But uh, obviously the game was trying to hide it from you in some ways, but you're right to question it because obviously it came it, up. It's, you know? it's too big of a thing not to question. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And uh, now you know why. Now you know why. And maybe it is uh, perhaps a failure of the game to not cover up well enough for you guys to really question it. I personally didn't question it that much because my logic follows closely what they what what they show and the evidence that follows so when an evidence or piece of evidence is not like talking away at me i won't think about like secondary and third options that's not see, right see but it me. did to me i mean it was the evidence specifically that picture that you know is getting so much press now at the end of the game of him right up next to the camera that's the picture that was the evidence for me because the doors open anybody mm-hmm. could have come in or out of it and the the premise was that uh, they they believed that there was no way in or out unless someone was using that way in. So they didn't believe or they didn't know that you could come out from that door. They only believed that you could only enter in. Well, yeah, uh, but that's because they're idiots, and you uh, know, perhaps, perhaps they, they didn't. They but but that's not true though. They didn't decide that nobody could have come out that door. They didn't even consider it. So when I see that piece of evidence, it's obvious to me the door's open. Anybody could go in or out, and Rantaro is large enough to block the door, so you could go out from the door up behind Rantaro and back without the camera being able to see it. There was one thing, though, Matt, and it's the thing that we forget about, is that uh, Suichi put dust in the card reader saying that the door had never been used. But what we find out at this trial is that you don't need the card reader, you don't need to use the card reader if you're going out the opposite way. Yeah, if you're coming out from the inside. So right, our assumptions was that the person went in and then went out. So they, we're, we're also making the assumption that there was also no one inside the room as well. Because everyone was present in the trial. And if there was no passageway out from the room, which is one thing that we believed at the time, then they would not have been able to come out of the room in order to come to the trial. Because there yeah, were people... Real shaky. You know. Real shaky logic there. <laughs> I get it. I, I understand your frustration. But I also know uh, what they what they were trying to say. They, because... <laughs> 
there very easily could have been a swipe on the inside. It doesn't matter that you don't need to swipe when you're on the inside because it would have been a different swipe if it was. But the that's also door. assuming a lot of different things that we don't have any evidence on either. See what or I mean? Like once you once you start assuming one thing or the other, it opens up the possible. It almost up an, almost an infinite amount of possibilities. You know what I mean? What if there was a trap door? What if this Rantaro was actually an android and it was not real? So it's like you open up all these things. So when you look at the facts as only the facts that's presented to you at the time, I can understand them trying to kind of go the other direction with the information that they have instead of making assumptions and saying maybe this is how it could have gone down or maybe this is also a possibility. Uh, True, ex- except that picture shows the open door, so you don't need to assume anything. No, 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 he, he it doesn't show the open door. It shows that the, uh, oh, the, the bookcase book opened, right. but, but, but the room wasn't opened at all or not that you could see at all. So no, no, there was, uh, there was no evidence to prove that the door was open. In fact, right. there was evidence to prove that that door wasn't opened at all because of the dust by the cover. And that's why they decided to kind of eliminate the possibility. And by eliminating possibility, you can get closer to the truth is what they believe or what it is true, except when you don't have all the facts, right? Oof, but uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I just wanted to point that out because uh, I found it interesting because you guys were closer to the truth in the first case than uh, than than they realized. We and are at the this point, detective. yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, you know, except except for missing a lot of the things about <laughs> everything, but you know, hey, you see, <laughs> I give credit when it's due. You guys did some good stuff here and there. Um, the so at this point, we're like, could not figure out this ending. Trust me. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes couldn't have figured out this ending, dude. No, you know? no, yeah. yeah. This is, this is some crazy shit that we're coming up on. But, uh, well, let's, let's save the discussion from when we actually get there. So at this point, we're like, okay, then... So there is a mastermind among us. And Sumuki says, like, well, no, no, no. What about that twin of Kaede's that we learned about in the Ultimate Astronauts Lab? What if the, the mastermind isn't one of us, but a 17th student? And we kind of have the discussion, like, well, if, if it's a 17th student... A lot of things don't make sense if that was the case, right? Because when we were talking to Mother Kuma, Mother Kuma basically said that the person kept coming in and out of this place. The, the mastermind used this place frequently and left this place frequently. But if it's a 17 student, an unknown person, then they would have to stay hidden at all times. You know, They wouldn't have any reason to ever get caught uh, outside. And that is also true. For the room that makes the flashback lights. It's kind of hidden in plain sight, right? Accessible to anyone as long as you know it's there and you're able to access it. And it's it's created in such a way where if you're actually in that place and someone tries to enter from the outside, then it kind of covers itself out. It hides it. And also, the, the passageway to the hidden room was hidden in the girl's bathroom on the first floor. So at this point, wait, all the information, we need to go ahead and reestablish people's alibis from the first case because we have this information now. And we remember that Sumugi left the, the dining room when she was kind of hanging out there with the other people waiting for uh, the time to run out. And she went to the first floor girl's bathroom. Oh, and we kind of... Yeah, we kind of have to look at Sumuki at this point. Uh, were you guys suspicious of her immediately, or how are you feeling at this point? Yeah, I mean, up until now, she's been acting weird in this, mm-hmm. you know, in the previous, I don't know, hour or two. Right. So yeah, I can't help but suspect her, almost yeah. to the point where it was so obvious that I'm like, all right, this is, you know, this is part one of a twist. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to suspect Sumugi. Now who else is that actually going to be? But 
Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I was thinking. I was, I, I thought it was like, oh, this is going to be a red herring. They're, they're going to disprove this anyway. But, but then I was like, well, how deep are we into this class trial already? Yeah. So not very deep actually at this point. We're yeah, it was really early, early on, on, which was why yeah. I was thinking, ah, this is just a red herring. Yeah, yeah, because no way they're going to, sh- you know, show off the true mastermind right away, right? Not like 15, 20 minutes into the case. That's crazy. Uh, so we basically say, wait. Sumugi was the only person who could have done it then because she could have left the you know she could have left the dining room went through the hidden passageway in the girl's bathroom went to the hidden room came out of it used the spare shot put ball to strike Rantaro after confirming that Kaede's shot missed took Rantaro's uh, monopad used, uh, containing the survivor's perk along with the shot put that Kaede used which missed and then brought it back into the uh, into the hidden room, and then she could exit from the girls' bathroom at a later time and join with everyone else. And uh, at this point, like you know, the we don't have any definitive proof, or that's what Sumugi and the Mono Club say. And at this point, you know, Mono Clubs are kind of defending Sumugi, and you know, definitely we know something is up. So we say, wait, we said something very important to Monokuma, and that is the command to create another. Um, onto uh, to Madokuma, and that is the command to create a fresh new Madokuma, and that is basically say, give birth, and with those keywords that uh, Madokuma would use to basically create a, a new Madokuma, and it turns out that Sumugi was basically the only person that didn't say those exact words to the Madokuma, in that position, she used a very different word, said make another or. Uh, give life or something like that. She said something like to copy or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she used those specific words to avoid saying the keyword specifically. And yes, most certainly, since everyone else uh, kind of basically verified themselves as not the mother, uh, not the mastermind, we can we can say that Sumugi is, and she is kind of starting to freak out, and she says like, "No, it's not me." It's it's gotta be Junko. It's gotta be Junko Anashima. Junko Anashima is is the mastermind, and she she starts freaking out. And all the monocubs are basically exploded at this point after failing uh failing Monokuma's uh like k- kind of duty of stopping uh Shuichi from discovering the truth, and then things get very very misty, foggy inside the courtroom, and all of a sudden Sumugi transforms, presents herself as Junko Anashima, the fifty third. And she says, Sumugi is just a character, a lie. And um, at this point, what were you guys thinking? Well, I thought, I was like, okay, well, she's probably like a really big fan of mm-hmm. Junko, and she wants to cosplay as her. But I was thinking, but we can't because, well, she's a real cospox. person. Yeah, cospox. Mm-hmm. She can't do that. But at the same time, what makes you so sure that you know Sumugi just didn't lie about her cosplay? Exactly. Right? I was uh, then that yeah. was another thing. Yep. Oh, I was just lying about the cosplay because we've been lied to this entire fucking game. Yeah, I figure what she might have been able to do is that she, if she had a real allergy to something, right? She might have been able to use it right before she put on Kaede's, you know, uniform, and then pretend that that, that was a trigger for her cosplay, right? That would have been fairly simple enough and uh, an explanation to say how she was able to uh, cosplay as Junko. But she says that she is not just cosplaying as Junko. She is a perfect imitation, a perfect copy, you know, in every sense of the word. Her voice, her her, her looks, and uh, her intentions and personalities are all present with her. Um, 
And she's just like, well, okay then. We, we've established that you rigged the game. You framed Kaede for a crime that she did not commit. This whole game is a fraud. It's illegitimate. It's rigged. The games are over. Cancel it. Yeah, so it's over. This is Dundies. Boom. Caught you in a lie. Pants on fire. We're done here. <laughs> and Junko says, yeah, and so what? What are you going to do about it? You know, well, so, so what? So so what if I was lying? You know, and she says, like, but but what what about all the people that are watching? They're not going to have this. They're not going to they're not going to understand like what's uh, like they're not going to be happy with uh, what you're showing them. It, it doesn't have any meaning if it's not true. If this is rigged, if this is not fact and, you know, if this all this is fiction, then nobody would care what they're what they're watching. You know, but she says that, oh, well, but nobody is watching. There's nobody watching. Remember, you guys are the only 16 people who are still alive in the world. Well, you guys were the only 16 people that were alive in the world. So obviously, there was no one watching in the first place. So none of that, what, none of whatever you said was, was you know, doesn't matter. And Shuichi says, that, like, yes, that's what you say. But what if our memories of the disaster, of the meteorites, of the virus, and all the information about the Gopher Project isn't real at all? What if the outside world is completely fine? And we basically, at this point, kind of go through the information that we remember, including basically Maki Himiko and uh, Shuichi himself and Kibo, that differs from the book that we found in Kokichi's lab. A book about uh, detailing the events of Host Peak Academy in great detail. And we notice that there's a lot of facts that don't coincide with uh, our memories. What we remember is that the ultimate despair is one girl, Junko Enoshima. That obviously isn't true because ultimate despair was a group. It was an organization. It also included her sister and many others, the remnants of despair and some others. So that's not true. So why would they remember? They also remember the 7th, 8th class being taken hostage by Junko and being forced to kind of being trapped in the Hope's Peak Academy and uh, in, in, inside the killing game. But the fact of the fact of the matter is they actually barricaded the place themselves, right? From the terrible tragedy that was going outside. They weren't trapped by the mastermind at all at that point. And lastly, we know for a fact that Hope's Peak doesn't take applications for their ultimate students. They they basically scout them out and they are invited. So all these different information that we have doesn't doesn't fit this book that is supposed to be very, very credible. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. And we also go back to the idea that the flashback light uh, manufacturing place was able to make this memories that were contradictory to each other. Like, for example, you would have a section where there's like a, like survivors and you can make a memory where there is no survivors. You can make a memory where everyone is safe. You can make a memory where a lot of people have died, but some have survived. So obviously you can't have both the memories of people all surviving and all being dead. They're and have them both be real. Yeah, yeah. One of them has to be fake, or both of them have to be fake. You're not, we're not sure. So these flashback lights were, in fact, not making, allowing them to recover their memories. It was having a deja vu effect where information is being sent into their brain, and they remember it like it was something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So that means, uh, yeah, 
you know, not everything everything that they were led to believe from the flashback lights were was was a lie. All this was you know, kind of used as motivation and things that uh, kind of allowed them to go to the next next place. Because if you think about every single point of the game where either they were just completely filled with despair or about to give up, there was a flashback light waiting for them, right? Basically, if you remember the events in one one in particular at the very beginning of chapter five learning about Kokichi, you know, how he is actually the mastermind, how there is no outside world, everyone is dead, everyone is depressed, and lo and behold, what's waiting for them on the uh, dining room table? Flashback light. Yep, a flashback light telling them that they were, in fact, Hope's Peak students, telling them that they had the weight of the hope of humanity on their shoulders, giving them the determination and motivation to go on. But now we learn that that information, all that memory that they've learned, was a fabrication. Yeah. Uh, something to motivate them to continue the killing games. Yeah, I suspect. I mean, game. we don't know how much of it's fake. That is true. That is true. Uh, but we do know that it, basically it could make any kind of memory that it, it wants. So yeah. we don't know how much is real and how much is fake. Uh, so he says that, well, if everything that we know is a lie and we're actually not Hope's Peak Academy students, then we have nothing to do with that place then that means that um, you can't be Junko. We're not connected to Hope's Peak Academy at all. And at this point, something crazy happens. And all of a sudden, Sumugi, who was pretending to be Junko, turns into Hajime Hinata from the main character of the second game. And he says, oh, you know, yeah, that's exactly what that means. That means this has nothing to do with Hope's Peak Academy at all. This has no bearing. And she starts basically morphing and changing into different costumes on the fly of all the different characters from Danganronpa 1 and 2. Um, it basically, I think they don't, I don't think it, ma- it missed a single character. It kind of goes from one to the other. It also features the exact same voice actor or actress yeah, based they, on the they character. They brought in a whole bunch of people. Yeah, they did not ship out on the session at all. They 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 brought it out. They they brought out their in game. So you at one moment it would be Hajime talking. At the other at the other it would be like Makoto or uh, he uh, was it uh, like Byakuya or something like that. And it's kind of crazy. Like what were you guys thinking at this point when when the Sumugi started transferring into all these different characters? I mean, on a, on a purely nostalgic level, it's just uh-huh. kind of cool to see everybody again. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, especially with the voices. Uh, but other than that, I don't know. It started to make me think Junko was less real. I mean, obviously, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's just Samugi. It was referring my thoughts that Samugi is just a crazy fan of Junko. Mm-hmm. And she's yep. like, oh, I know all the stories, and I'm just, uh, I can recreate it, everything I want, and I want to recreate this you know, killing game. A very small part of me, though, because basically my mind at this point in the game has given up. Like, there's nothing that's outside of the bounds based on the early first two games and then this one. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you, Drew. That's exactly what I was thinking. But a small part of my mind was like, who knows? I mean, all these people could be, like, beamed in here. I don't know. It could, they could all be actual <laughs> bodies. You know, maybe it could be, you know, split personality and all these people are still actually alive. Or mm-hmm. I, I'm like, anything is for a game at this point. I can't rule anything out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Things were starting to... Well, things were off the rails, but now, now things were just basically flying off into space at this point. I'm also still 
under the assumption that this is a simulation of some kind, which means anything can really go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but Shuichi points out that, like, wait, wait, how can you cosplay as a student of Host Peak Academy? You have cospox that makes it so that it's impossible for you to cosplay as any. And Sumugi says, like, yeah. And what do you think that means that I'm able to cosplay as all these characters? And he says that that could only mean that these characters are actually fictional. Yeah, I bing took, bing bing bing. I, 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 it gave you the option, and I was like, all these characters are fictional. I was like, that makes sense, but I don't want to click it. Yeah, <laughs> and I clicked it, and it was right. And I was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, that was when yeah. my brain was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> was it was it fuck it? I'm out kind of brain activity there because I can I can understand what you're feeling. Kinda, yeah. I was like, uh, like at that point, I, I I think I literally said out loud, "Well, there goes the fourth wall." Yeah, yeah. and sure that enough, is, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you thought the first wall was being obliter- obliterated in that moment, Dykes. It will. There will no longer be one at the, at the end of this. I was waiting so, for Junko yeah. to explain. This is just a series of video games that you're playing, and I'm like, come on, yeah. don't do this, please. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. So basically, Hope's Peak Academy, the events of Jabberwock Island, and all of what Danganronpa is is fictional, and they basically say and mention all these details as the world of Danganronpa. The exact same world as we know it. And she says that this is ultimate real fiction. Basically, it's 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 reality propped up by fiction. Populated by fictional characters. And at this point, we're like, oh, shit. Okay, okay, okay fine, fine. Let's just say, I didn't believe it at the time. <laughs> Let's just say that Host Peak Academy didn't happen. That was a work of fiction. And this is a game based on that, kind of like, <laughs> kind of copying that, right? Yeah. But at the, at the same time, okay, then that means that the rest of the world is fine. Then the the world is fine. There was no meteors. There, there are no viruses, you know, like, uh, you know, not everyone is dead. That means, you know, once we finish this trial, now that we just, you know, basically come to the assumption that this is all rigged and this is all bullshit, we can just leave. We can just go home and just be who, you know, who we're meant to be. And then she says, like, what do you mean by go home? There, there yeah, you don't no get it. You. <laughs> yeah, you, you still, you still don't understand what I'm talking about. And she brings out basically multiple screens of these audience faces, which are clearly based on real people because they're not like stylized to be like you know artworks or drawn. Yeah. So they look like kind of like thumbnails that people have for like Twitter or like Facebook or whatever. Kind of like uh, they're they're like a profile picture or whatever, and they have like these like reactionary photos that kind of like a gif that kind of scrolls between them, and there are like dozens of them all across these screens. And it says like, yeah, you guys are here for the entertainment of the audience, for the people of the outside world, and the and the matter of the fact is, yeah, the outside world certainly exists. Not only that, it is an incredibly peaceful world, and there is almost no violence or hatred or anything like that out there. And because of that, it is a painfully boring world. And people are looking for sources of entertainment. And Danganronpa is a long-running series that people love and enjoy. You know, it's, it's one of the most popular in the world. And can you guys guess what 
season of Danganronpa that we're in at this point? Yeah. Obviously, v- V3. Yeah, right? Version 3? Is that is that is that it? So we're on the third one, right, Matt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, third one. What, what about you, Joe? What, what do you think we're at, you know? It's like... It, it hit me as soon as she asked. Because mm-hmm. it popped up and it says you have to choose. You know, you did the, the, the what was it called? The mind thing? The Hangman's, the Hangman's Gambit, yeah. Yeah, Hangman's Gambit. And I was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of numbers floating around and there's two of them. Yeah, it's a two digit like, number. And I'm like, well, it's obviously fucking 53. Yeah, 53. V3. The Roman numeral V being the number five and three. This fucking thing has been the title the entire time. It's been looking <laughs> yeah. at us from the very beginning. <laughs> And we were questioning, like, why don't they just call it Danganronpa 4, you guys, right? Yeah. I mean, the three was so the confusing. Anime. Yeah, it's so stupid. Why don't they just call it 4, guys? Come on. Here's the other thing. They didn't yeah. mention much about the the anime at all. In fact, uh, the only time they actually mention the anime is, like, in that little opening sequence where they show clips of the anime. Yeah. None of this uh, class trial discussed anything that happened in the anime at all. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the flashback light does kind of refer to, obviously, Makoto being the interviewee, right? Mm-hmm. So he's the uh, headmaster of Hope's Peak Academy at that point, which is obviously something that happened after the events of uh, Danganronpa 3, end of uh, Hope's Peak Academy. So the continuity does exist there, but you're right in that they don't discuss the information because the discussion of the information of Hope's Peak Academy only serves to establish that their memories and what they know is different from the memories that, that's uh, of reality or that's real, you know, that they're supposed to know. So uh, some other clues that uh, I'm going to mention here is that obviously Junko Anishima introduced herself as Junko Anishima the 53rd, mm-hmm. right when she appeared from the very beginning. And uh, I think at that point, I, I started getting some clues. I started getting some ideas about it. And if you actually look very close into Sumugi's eyes when she's transferred into one of the characters... There is a literal V3 inside of her eyes. Really? Yeah. Her left eye has V. Her le- her right eye has 3. Yeah. It's a kind of like staring at you from the very beginning. If you even look at Junko's like, close-up, like V3 is in every single eye of every one of those characters. That is basically the only difference between the real thing and the copy that she made. So, you know, some throwbacks, some some Easter eggs, I suppose, if you if you haven't been really looking into it. And uh, basically, the real mastermind is not Sumugi or not Junko. It's actually the viewers themselves. The viewers that demand more entertainment. The viewers that have been asking for more Danganronpa from the very beginning. And they're the ones that want to, you know, they want this entertainment. They want this killing game to continue because they love it so much. Uh, but people shuichi himiko himiko especially is just just enough you know enough is enough let me let us just out of this place we'll just make do with whatever we can do and so he says you still don't understand like i said you guys have no home because you guys are not who you think you are what you guys really are are regular people that have been overridden using the flashlight, the flashback light, with new personalities and memories of new upbringing, new families and new friends into being the person that you are. If you are a piece of fiction, you know, let's say if uh, Tarzan comes out of, a, uh, comes out of a, a novel, right? He won't be able to find the fictional character that he was hanging out with. You know, he won't be able to find the woman's house or whatever. It just wouldn't work because you're a work of fiction. You have no ties to reality whatsoever. 
And that's a bit of a, of, a, of a revelation because it actually ties into something, right? We were talking about how this cast of Ultimates were very unspectacular. Yeah, it doesn't seem very Ultimate. Yeah. Their abilities, uh, obviously, the, some of them were pretty pretty impressive, like Mew's ability to create inventions, Kuruma's ability to kind of do a lot of matey stuff very, very quickly. But it, it wasn't like realm out of the realm of like impossibility or ridiculousness that it was in the previous Duncan Rumpa games, which specifically used their ultimate abilities in such ways. Uh, like if you, for example, if you think about the the classic, the Nike, Nagito Nike, uh Komoida, right? His ultimate talent, the ultimate lucky student, was used in a way to present a crime that was unsolvable otherwise, while having the exact exact course of action that he wanted based purely on his luck, right? Insane, but it makes sense in that world because he's supposed to be an ultimate. He's supposed to be ridiculous. Yeah, but in it's, this almost game, like, it's almost like life-changingly good. Yeah, yeah, that's what ultimate uh, ultimate ability is supposed to be. The, they're the best of the best, outside the realm of possibility kind of good. Uh, See, you can, it, is, is that definitely true? Because isn't the other like term for it like super high school level? Uh, I suppose, but it's also implied that they're able to do things that most people aren't able to do. Um, so kind of going into the realm of impossibility, but obviously you can't do something that is impossible. That's just kind of stupid. Yeah. So we're not, talking, we're not talking just like the top 5% in the world. We're talking uh, something beyond that. Yeah, beyond that probably. Yeah, Maybe the top 1% I, or something I would, like that. I would look at it more because I asked this, I think, in Danganronpa 2 whenever we were talking about it. I was like, look at them kind of like superheroes in training. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good analogy. Drew. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, and we looked at all these things. Like, if you look at talents, like, for example, the ultimate Aikido, right? That was basically never used at all in the cases mm-hmm. at all. She wasn't able to do anything physically that, uh, you know, a healthy, physically, you know, physically able girl wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. And all these talents that we have, it was always just kind of sitting in front of our face. They were made in such a way where knowledge pr- played a lot of inf- a lot of key roles. Like the ultimate anthropologist, all he needed was to know a lot of different things, right? And that's just a part of your memory, something that could be manipulated by the flashback light. And everything else in between would just be a placebo effect, making you believe that you can do these things, whether you could or could not do. And it never really came into the uh, forefront anyway, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, but I mean, if that was the case with the first Danganronpa 1 and 2, then... No, 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 it wasn't the case with the first Danganronpa 1 and 2. They're, they're works of fiction. They weren't, they weren't game shows. They weren't these things uh, brought out by people. So they were just yeah. like a television show that was shown. Yeah, they think, about, think of them basically as games or anime. And this is basically ultimate real fiction. Fiction propped up by real people of flesh and blood. Right? So, yep. so when did the... Ultimate real fiction begin. Season I believe four, probably no. I believe Sumugi mentioned that it happened after season ten. Oh, gotcha. yeah, that's that's what she mentioned. But obviously, take everything she says with a large grain of salt because of uh, all the things that she's done and said. So you can expand that to take this entire game with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Yes, that too. But we'll go into that in a, in a in a more detailed uh, discussion at the end. Uh, at this point, I think. This is the most disturbing thing I've seen, I think, in this game, where Sumiki says, like, yeah, in fact, I have actually a proof that you guys are normal people. I have your audition videos when you try to apply to become one of the uh, contestants for the new Danganronpa season. And the very first one that we see 
is uh, a footage of Shuichi saying, oh, I would love to be the ultimate detective because those are the characters that I really love and gravitate towards. And an ultimate detective has never been a blackened before. So, you know, that'd be kind of interesting. Uh, so they they basically said, like, yeah, we saw your uh, audition and thought, well, maybe we can make the weakest, most incompetent ultimate detective ever. <laughs> and watching him grow would be an interesting plot like plot arc. And that's why he was chosen. And we also see footage of Kaede. She basically saying, oh, you know, I, I'd be perfect for Danganronpa because I have no faith in humanity whatsoever. And we also see Kaito saying, like, yeah, man, not only am I going to enter and play in the killing games, I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to be the very best. I'm going to become famous afterwards. It's going to be great. And seeing characters like Kaede and, and Kaito, obviously, who are... Uh, who we've come to respect and love in a lot of ways, say those things, like, that was disturbing to me. I'm not, how did you guys feel? I was just thinking, this is it. Like, this is... I was like, they're really going with this. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I guess this is it. <laughs> the, the whole time this was going on, like the last 30 minutes of this game, I kept thinking to myself, where do they go from here? Yeah. Where do they go from there? Indeed. Yeah. So, how do you? How would you feel, man, if you're Shuichi in this position? You've learned that not only are everyone that you cared about, you know, works of fiction these these characters plastered over these bad human beings. Supposedly, uh, all the motivation that you have was doctored. It was, it was basically following a set pattern of personality and kind of following a script of sorts. And this, you know, this is this is all a lie. And there is no lie. I mean, there is no meaning in fiction. And Danganronpa is, I guess, just about despair. And this is just what the outside world wants. It's a world filled with depravity because it doesn't have any in reality. It seeks one from fiction. You're, you're trying to say? No, I was just going to say, if I was Suichi, I would have been like, okay... Well, we found out your game is rigged. All the viewers know it's rigged. Turn mm-hmm. us back to our normal fucking selves and let us go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're not. They're not fictional like the characters from the first ten seasons were. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're, con- we're, we're contestants on this fucking show. We kind of beat the show. So turn us back into our regular persons, and and we'll be on our fucking way. Yep. And my the way I would look at that, if I was in Shuichi's position, is if they have the power to rewrite our memories like this, they probably have our original memories banked somewhere. Um, that's what you might have thought, but that's apparently not true. The The flashback light doesn't capture memories, only fabricate new ones. So the idea that your memories were back up was something that was never taken into consideration. Once you are overridden as a fictional character, that's it. Your old personality, your old memories are gone. And you become a different person. The best you can possibly do, according to Smoogie, is that you can try to overwrite your current personality with a brand new fictional personality. But right. that's but, it. But again, we can't trust anything she says. True, true. But that is what she's saying, and she is in control of what kind of memories you might be able to get. So uh, that's, that's basically all you have to uh, to to go on. And at this point, you know, rightfully so, Shuichi is just basically just mind fucked. Right. Yeah. As are we all at this point, right? So she says, like, "What the fuck am I gonna do? Like, what's the point? You know, what? You know, there's there's nothing left to be done." And at this point, we kind of get this bad end. 
the game just kind of ends and we think oh like oh man did i did we make a mistake somewhere did we do something that we didn't supposed to do and then we got a premature ending or at least that's what i thought but once we choose not to save the situation but instead to remedy it we get so, in so does it just end if you save there yeah uh I think it does. I, and I, then it I cuts never to the credits. It. Yeah, I save and then it cuts to the um, to the main menu again. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so you have to choose no, and then that save save uh, line becomes turns into remedy. And then once you press yes on the remedy, you uh, take control of at this point uh, of Kibo. And Kibo is talking to his inner voice and says, "Help me, inner voice. You've always told me what to do uh, in the in the crucial moments. You know." It's something that you really need to do, and he says, "I I won't give up on hope, you know. I I won't I won't give up. I won't give into this despair that you presented to us." But Shuichi says, "Like, what what hope really is there? The outside world, you know, just just wants us to kind of suffer, but at the same time, Kibo insists that the outside world wants hope. That's what his inner voice keeps telling him to fight against despair and try to win." And uh, basically, we learn at this point, Sumugi kind of laughs at Kibo's outburst and says, like, yeah, obviously that's what you say. That's what your inner voice would say. Because, Kibo, you're just a surrogate for the, uh, for the audience. That little, that little hair, that little ahoge on top of your head, that little thing that looks like an antenna was actually, in fact, an antenna. And you're just getting results of a series of audience polls and you take action based on what they want to do, and that has been the gimmick of the very uh, of the fifty third Danganronpa season is audience participation, and that's 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 what he was here for from the very beginning. Being the ultimate robot didn't really matter. They needed a way for the audience to have a voice. Audience have an uh, have a way of acting inside of the game, and that was kind of the main hook of, for this particular season. So now he's kind of freaking out because maybe you know he doesn't know what he really wants to do himself. But at the same time, he still feels like this is the right thing to do, right? Because what's what's the you know what's the opposing thing? Like you just give up on life, you just do nothing. And at this point, kind of Shuichi starts fighting Kibo back, saying that hope is not this one cure and all. It's not this bright, you know, uh, goal that they're always shooting for. Hope doesn't. In fact, that's the problem. Yeah. Hope is the problem indeed because hope is the reason why Danganronpa has gone on for 53 seasons. Because hope always wins and despair always loses even after all this suffering. And that's what the people want. They want that happy ending, right? Don't we all want that happy ending? I think there are some people out there that that kind of enjoy bad endings more than happy endings, but I think they are very, very minority. We all want that bit of uplifting hope where the underdog beats the the evildoer or whatever, some big corporation. That's some kind of something that kind of gives us hope in our own lives, and we we gravitate towards those kind of stories in fiction as well. And that much is very much true. But because of that inclination of the people, of the audience, of the true mastermind, as it were. They've been forced to suffer, not just them, but so many people in the past 50 seasons of Danganronpa were, you know, made to suffer. Not, I guess, 50, more like 43. Yeah, more like 43, if uh, somebody is to be believed that anyway. So maybe that would mean that letting despair win would, would be the best solution. But that doesn't make any sense either, because Shuichi clarifies that if hope wins, that doesn't necessarily mean that the killing games end. No, it just 
That is the natural end of a cycle. Then begins another killing game. And if Despair wins, another killing game will begin anyway. So there seems to be no real way to end the killing games whatsoever. Because whoever sacrifices themselves uh, outside of the two that are surviving is punished, becoming the new ultimate survivor and forced to suffer another killing game. And that's kind of their fate. And when Maki and uh, Kibo kind of volunteered themselves to be sacrificed so that Himiko and Shuichi could be the last two surviving, where they could kind of, uh, I don't know, live in peace or maybe try to escape it one way or another, then uh, Maki you know, would, be, would be sent to another killing game. And it's, the cycle would, would never stop. So Sumugi says, like, okay, I'll give you some options. We're going to have one final vote. And you can either vote against me, the mastermind, or against Kibo, the one representing hope. If hope is punished, then the killing games will continue until there's two more left. But at the same time, you guys already know this information about, uh, about the killing games and about how it's rigged. So no matter what motivation that I provide you guys, you guys won't kill. So you guys can basically just live in here in peace forever, you know? Uh, but if despair is punished, then you must choose two that will survive. So basically, you also have to choose two that will be uh, that will be sacrificed. But then again, you run into the situation where the people that are sacrificed are forced to continue on to the next killing game, initially and basically stopping nothing at all. The game continues. Game Rumpa continues no matter what they choose. So Chuichi decides the only thing to do is to not to choose at all, to abstain from voting. To come to a conclusion that the audience will not be satisfied with. The audience will not accept. To not to no longer play by the rules of this cruel game that has made them suffer and kill each other for no reason other than for the amusement of the outside world. It's a big old middle finger to the uh, viewers. Yes, yes. And can you understand his frustration from everything he's gone through? I would feel exactly the same way that he does if I were in his position, maybe even more so. Because if I learned that everything that I fought for, everything that I've clawed, like all the growth of my person was all just fake for someone else's entertainment. But that fake doesn't mean it was fake to me because the people that I love truly did die. You know, the, Mm -hmm. the pain that I feel inside my heart was true. And that's what really matters. You know, what resonates to an individual and the pain that you feel will always feel real to you. And that's something that they can never take away. And because of that pain, no matter if you call it a lie or a fiction, it is truth to me. And because of that, I decide to fight back. Fight back against the cruel mastermind known as the outside world. And I abstain from my vote. And Shuichi convinces both Maki and Himiko to also abstain uh, from their vote as well. And uh, just as when Kibo was about to agree, he kind of glitches out. You know, he's, he's basically like freaking out, like, oh my god, like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And he just kind of goes into this, like, weird mode where he's kind of remaining scenario. And Sumugi laughs and says, oh, you know, um, Kibo's uh, personality was not doing what the audience wanted. He was he was a failure as an audience surrogate, so the audience uh, voted for his personality to be deleted entirely. So at this point, the, the, the audience was supposed to be in control of him, but for a brief moment, Kibo is able to fight back, 
and tell Shuichi and others to use him to fight back, you know, to change the world. And uh, basically, uh, to convince the world that the killing games are no longer needed. And we do this basically by fighting against uh, the game. Like, they're sort of like, oh, like, we want to start the voting, right? But uh, because we want to abstain from the vote, but the Monoku- Monokuma and Sumugi just won't allow it to happen. So they basically throw you into one, like, situation after the other. They do, like, a nonstop debate where you have this, like, bullet you can shoot, but you just abstain. You just choose not to take part in it, not to continue this game. They they throw you into one mini game, into another one is a Hangman's Gambit, the other one is, like, a... Uh, was it uh, drive? Yeah, it's yep. psych, psych, psychic taxi and stuff like that. And you just stay there, not pressing a single button. Uh, what, what were you guys thinking at that point? Well, I fucked up because I tried the first one. <laughs> what happens? I never tried. Like, what's the outcome? It just, just you, you get a game over. <laughs> <laughs> game over if you win it. Yeah. Wow, what's there's a lot the of landmines for game early game overs in this section, huh? Yeah, I was just like, okay, fuck it. I just won't do anything. What was mm-hmm. the word for Hangman's Gambit? Oh, uh, what's what's the thing that you should never give up? Hope. Hope. Yep. Hope. Hope is the word. As is the the kind of the cliche, the the idea of uh, basically the hope and despair being the theme with Dangan Rumpa, and uh, the final bullet that we have basically is. We'll we'll use use our life. We'll put our life on the line. We'll throw away our life if it means killing this game once and for all. Because we know that if you abstain from your boat, then um, you're you're supposed to be punished. You're supposed to be killed. That's the rules, and that's how it's supposed to go. Um, and we basically go, and the voting start, a voting time starts, and we did this whole thing with Kibo. And the, the things that Kibo was saying during the last armament battle. Where he represents the viewers, uh, I thought a lot of those comments and the things that Kibo was saying were uh, pretty pretty entertaining. Do you guys remember some of them? I can't remember. Nope. No, not at all. So they're basically like what you would imagine YouTube comments to be. So it's like very entitled, like assholey comments. Like, oh, I've been a fan for a long time. You can't do this. Oh, this is oh, getting yeah. too meta. This is this is boring. This is stupid. And things like that, just like mean spirited, like adds nothing to the discussion, bullshit kind of comments that you'll see populated onto YouTube comments or Twitch uh, Twitch streams and stuff like that. It's plastered, and Cable kind of says those things as you're trying to kind of convince the world that uh, it no longer needs this killing game and the suffering can end once and for all. And you do succeed uh, in some ways because the voting time comes, uh, you vote, and Sumugi says like, "Haha, I also didn't vote." Because, in truth, she wants Hope to win. Because that's what all, the audience wants. That, yeah. That's what the audience wants, a good, a good ending. That's how you get the good ratings. That's what, by giving the people what they want at the very end, is how you continue a series. So she didn't even vote. And it turns out that, yes, Himiko, Maki, and Shuichi also didn't vote just like they planned. But the one that was controlled by the world, the people, uh, at the time, also didn't vote. Perhaps symbolizing the fact that they no longer had any interest in um, participating in this killing game themselves. Fiction perhaps can change the world. Yes, perhaps. Because in a lot of ways, 
I guess we can go. We can start going into symbolism. A l- well, one more thing to cover. Okay, so the basically at, after the end, the the punishment still needs to be carried out as per the rules. And since everyone didn't vote, everyone needs to die. And the person to carry out this uh, punishment is Kibo because Sumugi never planned this outcome at all. She never expected everyone to die. That wasn't part of the script. It's what she says. And uh, Kibo says, like, yes, I'll, I'll do this. And he goes back to his rampage of killing uh, and just basically blowing up the up the school. And at the very end, he self-destructs, opening this gaping hole into the wall of the cage or, or the end wall, as it were. And um, the credits roll. But after the credits, we find a scene where Shuichi, Maki, and the Himiko, they're actually not dead. And they kind of climb out of the, like a, like a series of debris. And they're asking, like, oh, but well, how come we aren't dead? But it's implied by Shuichi that maybe Kibo saved them because the will of the people is that they wanted them to live, right? And they also talk about Hope's Peak Academy. Uh, it's being kind of suspect that it was it was fake because a lot of the things Sumugi was saying, especially at the very end, she referred to hell herself as the cosplay cat criminal. A term that we haven't seen her use before. If she calls herself a criminal, that means she's doing something on, you know, unlawful. She's doing something illegal, right? But if she were, in truth, moderating or, or, or part of a team that makes this reality show, then there would be nothing criminal about it. That must mean there is something deeper to what Sumugi has done in this game. Maybe something that she wasn't supposed to do you know, by the eyes of the law. So we also talk about the videos that we saw of them kind of um, volunteering and auditioning for it. And that also seems a little odd, too, because, you know, it just doesn't seem real. And there's some evidence to that being um, kind of suspect in a lot of ways. But they kind of end with the idea that the world would is filled with lies. But even if it's a lie, if it, if it can change reality, there is truth in it. Because lies are just another way to tell the truth. And as they lo- uh, as they look like gazingly outside this bright light into the outside world, we see from the outside in. And they're kind of looking out into this black void and the entire container or the environment that they're in is covered by these Team Danganronpa logos. Kind of symbolizing the idea that the outside world that they're looking out on is, is ourselves, you know, is, is the reality that we're living in. It's not their fictional reality of the fourth wall in their world, but our, our own. And, uh, you know, it says Danganronpa, the end. And there we have it. We we have the ending of Danganronpa 53. Uh, this is it, guys. We, we finished the game, but I feel you guys have many things to discuss and say about the ending and how you feel about it. So let's just get right into it. I want to hear your opinions. Matt, you can go first. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to judge the end of this game. It's tough yeah. to judge this game in general because of the end. Uh, I mean, I'm unsettled. I finished it at this point a couple hours ago. Uh, my first impression was I didn't really love it. My second mm-hmm. impression was it's mainly because I don't think anything means anything. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of the game is truth versus lies, but there's been so many lies which turned out to be lies, which turned out to be lies that, you know, essentially not, no statement that was made in the last two hours of this game do I put any faith in. 
Now, what do you mean by you don't put faith into it? So you don't believe in the idea that, like, Hope's Peak Academy is fiction? Uh, so you you go into the idea that it's actually true and Sumugi was lying? No, not – no, I mean, I, I think t- to the extent that that statement can be taken at, at face value, I, I think, yeah, I think it was fiction. But do, do I think that there was nothing outside that world? I don't know. Do I absolutely agree that – our world is the what was outside their world. I, I don't know. Um, the, the mastermind being the people, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. You know, that's maybe a matter of interpretation. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel unsatisfied because I had a few more problems with the cases themselves. This game. Okay. Um. The characters not being as ultimate, I think, made some of it a bit less exciting. I mean, it all ties into the ending, sure, but the the sense of finality, Mm -hmm. even if I don't necessarily believe it, gave it a different vibe that was maybe less exciting than the other two games. But don't you also feel like this this sense of kind of like melancholy that we have at the end of this game? The sense of not being satisfied is part of the point of what we're supposed to try to feel. Because, yeah, if we're the audience. Yeah. Sure. Um, let's let's say that we are the audience of the game, um, which obviously is something that is is hinted to because of yep. you know their, their talk about it being uh, the Danganronpa, you know, kind of referring to itself as his actual name. The logo kind of, that's kind of plastered at the outside of the epilogue as they're kind of gazing out to the outside world. If we're the audience world, what is it that they believe that they were able to change throughout this game, or what is the change that they want to bring on to this real world um, with this with this fiction? Because if, if lies can be something more than just lies, you know, if they are if they are another way to tell the truth, what is the truth that this game is trying to tell us? See, I I don't know because obviously from their perspective, they wanted to convince the viewers mm-hmm. that they were real enough and that we sh- you shouldn't be toying with their lives and they're not just there for your amusement. They're not rodents. Mm-hmm. But if they were just fictional, then all of that's irrelevant. Is it irrelevant? I would say so. It, Why? It, it, it reminded me very specifically of a book I read a couple of years ago called Red Shirts. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it by jo- John Scalzi? Is it referring to the Star Trek Red Shirts? Yeah, so it's basically – it's a story about a starship, and some of the red shirts decide, why do people keep making these stupid decisions? And and they come to realize that they're making bad decisions because they're doing so at the the direction of authors writing a bad TV show about themselves. And so sometimes they kind of have control over their life, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't have control over their life, and they just – are forced to do things because they were written to do things. And so it's, it's very similar, kind of this character becoming self-aware of their own existence within a story. Okay. But since I finished reading that book, have I once felt bad for those characters? No, they were fictional. It's funny. It's comical to some degree, not so much in Danganronpa, obviously, but uh, Red Shirts is kind of a comedy. But, it, you know, it's it's interesting that they became self-aware. Mm-hmm. Now that I've seen it a few times, it's maybe less interesting. Okay, but 
they didn't make me not want to play another Danganronpa, so they, I don't think they succeeded at that goal, at least based on their actions. Now, you okay. might say the game in general, the fact that you know some of the decisions that were made, I don't. I, this wasn't my favorite of the Danganronpa series. Sure, but I think this was specifically made in a way where it's not supposed to be your favorite. You know what right. I mean? The but, message but I that it priced you out. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't feel like that's because it was based on the character's actions. So I don't think Shuichi himself did anything. You know, be- while he became self-empowered at the end of the story, the game, mm-hmm. he didn't do anything to make me not want to play another Danganronpa. So I think he failed at his goal. Okay, sure. But he does say at the very end, um, changing the world isn't about like changing everyone's mind. It's about changing even just one person's mind, right? So let's say that they did fail in changing your mind about necessity of a, of a cruel source of entertainment like this or you know kind of entertainment in spite of people suffering or like you would say uh fictional people suffering so it doesn't matter because it's fictional but actually i take that back a little bit i was thinking still more in the purely fictional sense Hmm? like the first 10 seasons sure 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 so these were actual people that actually died yeah they certainly were but the thing about it is that like i think that's one of the points that it's trying to make they it doesn't matter if they had they had physical bodies and you know they died or whatever. It's just when we breathe life into these characters, and especially if you're the author, right? If you're the creator of something like this, you take painstaking effort of creating these characters from their visual design to their personalities to their background stories. They all become like your children in a sense. You know, they're kind of product of your own imagination of your mind, and um, to to put them through a situation where they are specifically placed in the position where they only live to suffer is a very cruel thing indeed and i'm going to read you something and this is come this comes straight from the game okay this is what shuichi says on the elevator right before the uh, the final trial starts and he says everything ends here everything the killing game of pope's peak academy the killing games of jabberwock island and the killing game of this ultimate academy how much more until they're satisfied this is the end of it. I'm tired of this. We're going to end it. We're going to end this cruel game. Me? That sounds like something that perhaps the creator of the game might have thought to himself. Because when you are the creator of something and you get attached to these characters, just as we do, just as I felt very sad watching Kaede die, uh, you know, watching Kaito die, I became attached to these characters. And it doesn't matter to me that they're fiction. You know, because just like Shuichi said, it doesn't matter that they were these personalities, fabrications, you know, brought on by the flashback lights. They were, you know, I still made a connection with them. And the pain that I felt after I left, you know, I lost them was real. And if that pain is real, if my feelings and the connection that we made were real, then does it really matter if they were a product of fiction, if they were lies? Does it does it give it any less meaning at the end of things? Because in all reality, if we know anything about the world, is that we're always learning more things about the world. The idea that maybe we're all in a simulation ourselves—that all of this is fabricated, all of this is fiction—is a possibility. You know, we might literally be hooked up to the Matrix right now. So everything that we believe to be true could be lies. But does that mean that all the connection that you made with your friends and family didn't matter because you didn't, you know, because it didn't really happen because you were in a simulation? 
to that, I will say no, because I think that's a that's a really cruel and heartless way of looking at the world. And I, I don't say that in a way to be insulting to people who feel that way, but more as a as a reflection of myself, because I feel I'm I'm a, I'm a very empathetic pe- empathetic person. I'm someone that uh like tears up very easily when something sad happens, whether it happens to me or someone I know or not. So because of that fact, I I always resonate to like characters and their suffering, and that's one of the reasons why I find Dan Rumpa so interesting. Uh, and perhaps that's 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 a, that's a flaw, you know, in in our in our in our human minds, because we gravitate to the situation of these tragedies these the people suffering it's something that we always want to see whether we want to or not we see that huge car wreck as we're driving by and the cars in front slow down they don't slow down because it's dangerous they slow down so they can look and see what's going on it's part curiosity and it's part trying to figure out the kind of suffering that they're, they're trying to feel you know and i think it speaks to a lot about human nature in a lot of ways and the idea that this game basically throws itself under the bus take this point i feel is very brave it's something that you don't do uh with with a franchise that is becoming becoming more and more successful that's becoming like a money maker to to do that with a game series and put put it in a position where it would be difficult to continue because of the choices that they've made is nearly unprecedented just to make a message you know and I think I think that's very bold and brave in a lot of ways, and that's kind of what I set on, because when I finished the game initially, I felt very much like you did, Matt. Emotions were rolling high. I was like, I was feeling a lot of ways, like a little bit betrayed, because just like the fans that, that were kind of speaking through Kibo said, I'm very invested in this series, and to learn that maybe the events of the first two games didn't happen at all, maybe they're just works of fiction, maybe that this is the very last Danganronpa game we'll ever get, makes me sad, you know, makes me kind of angry in a lot of ways. But once I started reflecting on what the game was trying to tell me and what I learned from myself, from the reaction that I had of the ending and all the things that uh, preceded, had me understand something about myself and the way I view entertainment. So that's kind of where I'm at at this point from uh, learning everything. Um, I haven't said a single word. I need your take, brother. Well, I find the whole thing very suspicious. Okay. Because unlike you and possibly Matt, I am a very calloused, cold-hearted person. <laughs> um, I, I will give you a perfect example. If you go back and listen to when we played Binary Domain, I don't know if you've ever played that game, Jay. Yeah, I played that game, beat it. Um, we were talking about what it means to be human. And uh, if I was in a robot apocalypse where people came out and found out that they were uh, robots, I would have no issue killing them. I feel like, and you, yeah, you, you hit it, you kind of hit it on the head for me. And I still feel this way after a few days of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I hate the fact that the, this game has basically said, oh, the last two games don't really matter. They're, they're completely fictional. But, but Drew, but Drew, is that really what the game is saying? Because I believe that it is not. Well, you may believe that, but I believe it differently. Because I don't think this is the last Danganronpa game. Okay. I'm pretty sure there will be another Actually, one. actually, I you agree. know what? Yeah, that's 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 actually the one of the last two questions I'm going to ask you, and that is the first of the last two questions. 
Do you guys believe there will be a new Danganronpa game after this? Absolutely. And I'm talking about a mainline Danganronpa. I'm not talking about some kind of weird spinoff by, you know, whatever, like Ultra Despair, whatever, or something like that. I'm talking about a mainline, you know, Danganronpa 4 or whatever they decide to call it. You believe so? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I do too. And to to your point about it being a brave choice, I Mm -hmm. think if and when they come out with the next one, it undermines that as a brave choice. Yes. Yes, I, I agree. Absolutely. And that is why I believe there won't be another Danganronpa game. Think I think so? this is uh-huh. the last. This is the end of it. And when they ended the ended the final, uh, when I it kind of verified my theory or my idea, when they ended the game and it says Danganronpa, the end. It didn't say Danganronpa V three the end. It didn't say Danganronpa you know whatever end. It said Danganronpa the end. And guess guess what the the chapter uh, name of. Uh, or rather, the trial name of the last trial is called. It's literally called the end of Danganronpa. Hmm. Quite literally called the end of Danganronpa. And you know, and that also brings up to my second and last final question that I'm ever going to ask you guys about this game, is that do you want there to be another Danganronpa game after this? Yes. Yes, for Drew, Matt. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I say no. Not because I wouldn't want to play another one, but because that, just like what Matt said, I think that that undermines completely what they're trying to get across with this game. And another thing that I liked about this particular ending um, is that every single time you release a game like this, right, you have to go one more, right? You have to go one step further. You have to go a little bit more extreme. And imagine if this game literally did go on to Danganronpa 50-something, how far would they have had to go to satisfy the audience at that point? Wouldn't they have literally seen everything? The idea of human surrogates playing these fictional character parts, something that would be appealing to the fans after they play 50 of these games or 50 of these like, animes or movies. Just look at movie series like Saw. I love the first Saw movie. I think it was melt, you know, made on a you know, small, tiny budget. Told uh, told an interesting message, some some you know good uh, good uh, twists and turns. Saw two still still pretty good. Not you know it had more of a budget, but it kind of started losing focus on what he w- was really trying to do from the from the first one. And then after that point, it's just been crap after crap. It's just become a shock porn, trying to get people into the most sickening position where they just are made to suffer, and people are just enjoying these as spectacles. And uh, it has completely lost sight of it, sight of itself, and what it was used to be good. But now, it, but they they just keep pumping them out because people love seeing it. Oh. And I wouldn't want Danganronpa to have degenerated like that as as well. well so, I, I have a counterpoint to that because sure. that was what why I was really excited to play this game was I was under the impression because I remember asking you. Uh, I was under the impression that this was going to be completely separate from the f- the first three games or first three stories, basically of Hope Speak Academy. That was it. That was that had nothing to do with Hope Speak Academy. Yeah, it clearly wasn't. And they they were like, okay, yeah, so this is going to be like, okay, we're going to have probably three games, and it's going to be a whole new set of stories. There's not going to be like the end of the world thing or you know all this other stuff. And that's what I was set up to think. Mm-hmm. And they could totally do that. And continue Danganronpa. And 
I see it as a source of entertainment. Yeah, sure. Maybe I am part of the audience that was against the bad. The, Drew, you know, Drew was the mastermind all along. I was, I was one I of the mastermind. Yeah. But I mean, that's the whole point. I played this game because I, I like the compelling characters in the story, and I, I see it as as you know, uh, I, I like to see the plot twists and stuff like that. I'm seeing it as mm-hmm. a as a person looking in, not as a, a game developer who's trying to tell a message. Mm-hmm. Um. And I just feel like, you know, I get it, like what you're trying to do. And if they do it that way, good for you guys. You did it. You did a great job with it. But fuck, I mean, I just like, I, I enjoy the series. Mm, me too. I mean, Drew, like, I don't have to tell you that I love the series, right? Like, why would I not want more of these games that I really enjoy playing, that I really look, you know, look forward to? But just the way that they were going about things, I think it would. It would cheapen the message, cheapen what they were trying to accomplish by my definition. And what I like interesting about this particular discussion is that there really is no wrong answer, right? You're right to enjoy this as a video game because it is a video game. We're not looking, you know, Shuichi, you know, Maki and Himiko weren't plastered onto real persons. And then, you know, they weren't forced to suffer through some games. So it is true that we don't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't suffer the same kind of guilt that those audiences did, right? Because they literally did. Kind of like look at these people and they were real people. Oh, and the other thing that I will like, say, like the is Running Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I will say that yes, it is true that the the videos where they were volunteering is a fabrication, and I can say that with almost certainty. Yep. Because there is one scene at the very beginning of the game, and the very beginning of the game is actually very telling because that is all truth because that is all when they're regular before any of the flashback lights were used, and if you if you remember the very first scene is Kaede getting out of the locker and remembering one thing. And that is her being abducted yeah. forcefully into a van and being brought there. And they don't mention that at all. And that's very curious because if they volunteered to be there, why would they ever need to get abducted to the thing that they volunteered and were excited to audition for? Yeah. That makes zero sense, Right. That that makes zero sense. On top of what about the flashbacks of them with the VR headsets on? They never went back to that either. Uh, well, Which they kind of went. That no, made no, me they originally. Actually, what? Go ahead. No, they they did go back to that point because that was supposed to be a flashback of when they erased their personalities and memories as ultimates to become regular students. That's what they're referring to. That was also a, a fake memory. So that was that was before they turned into their ultimates or whatever, or after? Uh, no, no, this is. That was a part of the lie that coincides with the Gopher Project and when they're trying to run away in the ultimate hunt. And they supposedly erased their memories and talents so that they could hide among the, amongst the masses so they can avoid going on the Gopher Project, right? And that, that sequence was supposed to display the, the, the part where, where they were just kind of getting their memories erased. So that, that point was placed, but them getting abducted, the video that was shown afterwards does not make sense at all. So some of the stuff that Sumugi has said about them volunteering, those videos that they show of them auditioning, which I found uh, to be distasteful, were were false. Which I believe, obviously, I want them to be false, right? But secondly, I do believe I have plenty of evidence to back up the idea that it is false. With- and also, the yeah, you know, Sumugi also referred to as as the cosplay, uh, cosplay, no, copy, copycat cosplay criminal, criminal. right? Yeah, so she obviously knows that she did some like some things to break the law. So this show that 
she is showing up and broadcasting to the world is not part of this like officially like syndicated show. It's part of this like organization that she belongs to that wants to continue this thing which, that is obviously being shown. Which then makes me think that there'll be a next game and it's going to be. It's very possible. Yeah, you know, the, yeah the there, there really wasn't a television show and and it was all just a lie and we'll find out in the next game. You know, I, I don't know. I'd rather they just cut it and start something completely new. I, that's what I wish to. That's what yeah, I wish I, this game was. I what I what I believe is that they won't make any more Danganronpa games, but it'll be a different series with a different plotline, different different setup, different twists and all. So a different universe, different characters, and I believe truthfully that this is the end of Danganronpa as we know it. And now Team Danganronpa, which will probably maybe continue with that title. I think they've earned the earned the right to call themselves that, basically, indefinitely, if they so choose. We'll go on to different games, uh, different uh, properties. And given my love for this series, I am 100% down with whatever they decide to put out, because I'm sure it'll be enthralling just the same. Yep. But uh, I do want this series to be over uh, where it is now. I want it to go out um, doing this thing that I think... I don't think any other game has been able to do something like this before. I feel like it, I mean uh, the ending of Near, like the true ending of Near, <laughs> deleting uh, your save file. Um, yes, to some degree. Yeah, it is something that is very unique to Near and obviously Near Automata because that's something that they they both have in common. But uh, at the same time, it wasn't really done in a way to really make a point home as strongly as this game does, because um, I suppose in in terminology of Nier, what that was trying to get across was what are you trying what are you willing to sacrifice in order to make something that is impossible possible and something that you would have to give up was something that was of value something that impacted you in the in the real world that's why it aimed for your save file and that was the clever aspect of it because that way you would actually be be forced to give up something that is of value to you of some some you know imaginary currency or whatever some real hours of effort that you'd have to give up so it would it tied into something giving it meaning but i think for danganronpa especially considering the fact that it has gotten a lot more successful over the years i mean it's coming up on the pc platforms people a lot more people are getting interested in the series people are buying it people are streaming it like even you wouldn't believe the amount of like twitch and youtube streamers that got on board with danganronpa after they figured out that the the games came out on pc and then from that point it's gotten a lot of notoriety and to say and to go with this message and possibly and i hope that they won't backpedal from this and finish the series in this way to prove a point and say and tell a message while they're Fiscally, you know, uh, I guess uh, advantage is, you know, exactly right in front of them where they just can continue to make these games. Like, let's say, for example, if this was another Danganronpa game and it ended just basically like Danganronpa 2 did, uh, then we would have all been like, oh, man, like I'm 100% down for Danganronpa 4 or whatever. Or, I mean, you know, and then we'd just be waiting for it, you know. It's something that would have only grown over time and to just, just, just give it up at the height of its popularity like this. I think takes so, a lot of balls. What do you? How would you succinctly say your interpretation of the message of this game? Um, I don't know. I don't want to be. I don't want to be more repetitive than I've already been. I feel like I've said it many times. Like, what do you mean? Um, what 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 is the message of the game? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just simply, if how how would you simplify it as much as possible? What you think the message is? 
Okay. Well, I think there are several messages that we can kind of glean from this. And one of the things that we kept going back on is the division of truth and lies, right? Of fact and fiction. And uh, what it really means to be a lie, what it really means to be truth. And the idea, the fact that a lie or rather a fiction can have an impact uh, on you that is greater than truth or become even more, uh, become a tool to tell a truth that uh, you might not realize, right? So, yeah, so even there I kind of had a problem with the game because I agree that both truth and lies can be powerful. Mm Mm-hmm. But they then had a statement that essentially said, therefore, truth and lies are the same because they both have power, which I think is is extrapolating that too far. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I think uh, the statement that you're referring to is uh, – let me see here. Thanks to my many pages of notes. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Lies are just another way to tell the truth. Yeah, which I don't I, agree with. Yeah, yeah, I can completely agree. They are obviously simplifying the idea. Uh, but I believe if you say that lies can be just another way to tell the truth, then that, that makes a lot more sense because lies are not always trying to tell the truth. Lies can obviously just be deceptions. Yeah. Uh, but in, in the way that it can be used as a way to tell the truth is, is actually reality because everything that we know about fiction – all the books that we read that have like good moral stories and things of that nature, there's a lot, lot of good that we can gather from that. And also, this, I think the second big message that we have to think about is the entertainment value that we get out of the suffering of these fictional characters. And what that means to us as human beings, that we get such like schadenfreude, you know, uh, or Australians would say sucked in from the suffering of other people. Yep. And- See, so this is my problem. I both... Both parts of that, I don't really agree with the message. Sure, sure. You don't have to agree uh, with the, what the idea is that it's pointing out at all. Um, that's part of why the discussion is enjoyable. And and I don't. I personally don't think that people should have to really feel that guilty about getting enjoyment out of the kind of like the the drama, the suffering, the tragedy of uh, fictional work. I don't think that is right. That you should always try to like kind of. Um, shy away from those things because it makes you some kind of uh, some kind of a depraved human being i don't think that way at all but it does beg the question what you know what does it really make us that we find such enjoyment or we we always gravitate to things so it's more there not so much to say that like no you're a bad person for enjoying this more so in the way that what does that make us that we always look for these things these ways of escape where other people are suffering and we get a kick out of this yeah, so why, I, I why, guess, why do you need the hope and despair? I uh, guess my my spin on that would be slightly different. It's not the suffering that draws me into a game like this or mm-hmm. Saw. It's the ingenuity and the resilience of people. It is that hope of the people. Ah, so you want hope to win, right, Matt? Yeah, that's and, that's what the audience wants, right? Hope to win every time. Essentially. But why do you think that is true? Why do we always want the underdog to win? Why do we always want hope to persevere? Why do we always ask for the good ending? That is mostly because we are unsatisfied with our own reality. Because we want to live vicariously through these characters that are pressing through the situations that we would have no way out of. We would have no clue. We would have no possible way of getting out. But by living vicariously through these characters, overcoming their trials and tribulations... 
and kind of living through that little piece of hope. So it gives what, us hope where is the actual negative there? I don't see any negative here. This, I'm, no, I'm, no, no, no. I feel no, confused. No, that becomes a place of escape, right? It's a part of escape in that we're only seeking hope and truth from these things. Let's go back very much to the very beginning of chapter 5. A boy is sitting in his classroom. He's talking about how miserable his life is, how he's getting bullied and he wants to run away from everything. But all of a sudden he says, but I'm okay because I have this. Instead of trying to figure out a way for him to better his own life, trying to correct the, correct all the bad things that's happening in his life, that's making him want to run away from his reality and run away from his home, from his teachers and his other classmates. He delves into Dangan Rumpa. He, 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 he latches onto it as a source of hope to give Isn't him that Isn't that kind enjoy- of a different issue, though? Isn't that just escapism in general? That has nothing to do with suffering. No, that, that is a part of it, you know? But that's what I mean. Because we want the suffering, we want the despair, because the despair leads to hope. And that hope is that escapism that we're talking about. That is the ultimate goal, what we're looking at. And I think that is very much part of that response. Because the battle between hope and despair is, is, is fought within the fictional world so that we can have that satisfying ending. So that these fictional characters are made to suffer. But we don't care about their suffering because they're not real. But the idea that they're not real is contrary to the idea that, yes, they're fictional but so many fictional things can also be true. They can also be telling things that are also meaningful, that can really hit home, that can really make us feel pain in a lot of ways. So how we view fact and fiction is one crux of the main message about how it doesn't really matter if it's fact or fiction as long as you can gain, you can, you can gain some kind of meaning behind it, whether through the pain that you feel or the happiness that you feel. But that connection that you make whether it's to a real or fictional character, is real. And that is important. And secondly, the fact that we always kind of choose escapism and we don't care about the suffering of this, you know, like uh, fictional characters, because because of that, we're ignoring our own reality and uh, kind of not fixing the problems that we may have. Um, that's basically I, what I'm getting, right? I find all of these things to be too much of a stretch. I don't, I, not a single one of these things do I agree with. The, the whole last couple hours of these games, every implication, every assumption, I just don't buy any of it. So the thing about it is that when you say you don't buy, do you mean you don't buy my interpretation of it or what? Well, I, I, yes, but I feel like your interpretation is fairly in line with sort of the some of the clearer themes in the, in the end of the game. So I, I don't think you have some weird, crazy idea that I don't agree with. I think mm-hmm. you're interpreting what the game is is presenting, mm-hmm. and so it's it's the game that I don't really agree with. I just don't like so, how the game ended, pretty much. Yeah, I I, I can get it, guys. Like I, you know, I, this is not a game that's supposed to give you that satisfying ending. That's what the characters fought against. The characters fought against the audience. The characters fought against the mastermind to not give them the satisfying ending. Yeah, the to maybe the characters to basically her. fought against us. Yeah, they, they were trying to not give us that ending that we want. That's the reason why we all feel very unsatisfied with it. That's well, intentional. Uh, no, separate though. I don't. Uh, to me, it's the, it's the, the writer of the game. Me down, not the character of the game. Well, well, well. Yes, because the writers are the writer is the character uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand uh, your frustration with it because trust me, dude. Like, 
I think out of all of us, I can clearly say that I've been invested into this world a lot longer and a lot more than you guys. Sure. Like, I play these games multiple times just for the, you know, one for the review, one for the podcast. Like, I played one before they even had regular English translations. I played fan <laughs> translation. So I've been into this game. So the idea that all these things happen and the way this game has this kind of unsatisfying ending has a lot to it. But I feel like when I step away from the idea that this is just a video game made for my amusement... And step away from that feeling of, you know, being unsatisfied with this ending and try to look deeper into the meaning of the game and what the the author and the characters of the game were actually trying to portray, then I can get it. And that's why I gained so much of the, this meaning. That's why I've been sitting on it for so long. That's why I kept on telling you guys to process what you were seeing. And... It is completely fine that uh, you don't agree with a lot of the themes and stuff like that. As long as, you know, as long as you know where I'm coming from. Because I'm not, I don't, I hope I'm not spinning something crazy, you know, like with no evidence whatsoever. Because I feel like I have all these things that I can see about why I feel this way. Like about the kid, about the escapism, about fact and fiction being a main key theme. About Kokichi being like this physical manifestation of lies and what it could mean to, uh, you know, uh, the actual truth of it all. So... Yeah, dude, like, it's it's, it's a very, very heated debate for sure, but I enjoy it, man. And I gotta say, as much as we love the other two Danganronpa games, and obviously, I think we can all agree that as from a video game standpoint of just enjoying the games, we we, we enjoy the other two games more than this one, right? Yeah, for for me, the second one was my favorite. And Drew, what about you? Followed fairly closely by the first. I like the first one better. Yeah, um... I'm really split on which one was my favorite, but I would probably stick with the first one myself. There's the, a, the first one left you like saying, "I gotta see the next one." <laughs> sure, um, yeah, but you know, at the same time, neither of those games uh, sparked discussion like this. Neither of us, not, neither of these games really left me questioning myself as a human being about my integrity, about how I enjoy entertainment uh, based on other people suffering, whether they're fictional or not, and how that you know what that what that could mean as me, you know, as my yeah. personality. I'm, I'm wondering I, if I'll get there because right now I'm just questioning the authors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've been sitting on these things. I've been processing it. I've been thinking it over and over again. And as I went through it for the second time, I started really thinking about things. And that's why I read you guys that excerpt uh, of Uchi mm-hmm. going down that elevator. And that felt poignant to me because first time I saw it, you know, that was just a monologue that the main character had right before the final battle. It meant nothing. But second time going through, knowing what Shuichi was about to face and what the author was trying to say to me, just listening to that, I felt like he was feeling a sort of pain from seeing his creation being created only to suffer for the amusement of other people. And if for for some chance that he really loves these characters, making them so that just so that they can get murdered or become these like villains of, you know, like so that they can just kill off someone, whether it be some miscommunication or whatever, that that would feel pretty heartbreaking, especially after doing it for so long. And the idea that you have to keep doing it just because it's popular, just to satisfy the audience, because that's what they demand, is more and more and more, becoming more and more extreme until the point where it no longer matters what you do, because you can never top what you did before. There's some something to gather from that. And when he said... Uh, in a, in an interview at some point, that Junko Enoshima, uh, the ultimate despair herself, was the best villain that he could come up with. And to ever try to follow her would be pointless because that, he doesn't believe that he can do it. 
kind of left me thinking about a lot of things about where he's at as as like a, as like an author, you know? Cuz about like just like it's just trying to one up yourself. Like where where do you where do you go? Just degrading yourself into these one ups, these like yearly sequels, like two year sequels, these saw movies, these fucking paranormal activity movies that are coming out every year. This this these cash grabs. That's not who the person is. That's not what Dangan, Team Dangan Rumpa is about. I believe they're a team with some integrity in their creativity. And because of that, they decide to make this one final Dangan Rumpa game. And um, they'll move on to something else. I could be completely wrong, you guys. Like, maybe they'll announce Dangan Rumpa 4 within a year or two. And that will eat all of these words that I'm, um, you know, I'm just dishing out happily. Because... I'll be happy with the fact that I want to see how they get out of the hole that they dug themselves into, eh? Uh, they're very talented, but this is going to be a hell of a climb out if they did decide to take another Duncan Rumpa game. Uh, and B, I would lose a lot of respect for them, honestly, if they did. And that's why I believe that uh, this is the end of Duncan Rumpa, just as the credits uh, pointed out. But uh, you guys both disagree, and I'm here, and um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, feel free to rub my face in it uh, if they decide to <laughs> if they decide to make a Dunga Dung- Rumpa game. Don't and you worry, can say that like, "Oh, Jay, you're just being a pretentious asshole." They didn't care about this shit, you know. And we'll, uh, we'll, I, will, I will I will take that 100. <laughs> percent We'll we'll bring you on the podcast, let you know that you were wrong. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> when we do like Dunga Rumpa four in like five years, you know. Yeah. I'm gonna be very quiet. <laughs> You know what? I'm not taking notes for that game. One of you guys take fucking notes. <laughs> it's, it's like at that point, man, my investment is kind of spent. Like all these notes that I I I, you know, I print out to make sense of all this for the listeners and also for myself, so I can re- make references things. It's a lot of work, but I, I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that'd be our survivor perk. Yeah, basically one of one of us has to do it. One of us is surviving. Mm-hmm. This is left over. But, uh, well, you know, we don't want to ignore Jamie's uh, great voicemail, so why don't we play it here and then talk about it? Okay, well, how about we read an email first? Oh, okay, we have... We have a a separate email. This comes from Dave. Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Well, he says, read when finished the game. We already done that. It says, prepare for a ramble. (laughs) Those damn mini-games come to an end. Uh, though if you're looking to platinum the game, have fun replaying them endlessly trying to achieve all S ranks in the casino. So, all the secrets in Danganronpa V3, sorry, make that 53, are revealed, and I find myself a little torn. Also, did anyone else wish they would have skimmed through all 52 prior shows a la 22 Jump Street in a full spoof fashion? (laughs) They They did the first 10, and those logos were great. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh yeah, so much for Cospox. Uh, in terms of the three mainline titles, this once again continues the trend of memorable characters uh, and really interesting murder segments. But on the other hand, easily the weakest in terms of writing and storytelling. I mean, what kind of characters would go along with magic shows and inserting themselves into a Matrix like VR games knowing they can get killed at any moment? The first two games of mass distrust of one another stopped uh, each or any such situations from arising. In essence, they were more believable because of it. It's also hard to shake uh, the parallels of uh, Katsuta Kodaka's 
That is the uh, creator of the game. Yeah. Gotcha. He said, sorry, Drew. He knew I was going to read this. <laughs> uh, own creative process. I remember reading how he comes up with such unique characters by having three or so jars filled with scraps of paper, one for ultimate abilities, one for personality, and another for the look of the character. And then choosing uh, randomly to get the weird concoctions you end up with in Danganronpa games. Uh, he th- creates a scenario for the, uh, these once blank characters to kill one another. The fans adore and want another game. He obliges. It all sounds so familiar. Which begs the question, is the ending of Danganronpa V3 a way for Kodaka to purposefully write himself into a corner? Is he sick of death games and being forced to make them by Spike Chunsoft? Is he in some sort of Kojima situation, trapped in a bathroom, waiting for a call from his best bud, Jeff Keeley? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> and Willis, the ending of V3 left it open for anyone to continue the series with a V4 and a brand new killing game scenario. I can't help but feel it's done what many poor sequels in both game in both the game and film suffer from, and that's detracting from the original work. Danganronpa 2, for example, was a perfect sequel, its own story continuing the franchise, yet circling itself back and strengthening the original, making the first game more important due to the events of the second. V3, mm-hmm. meanwhile, doesn't do anything of the sort. In fact, it creates it. It was all just a dream scenario, a uh, death knell uh, for any story. So that's why I'm torn and anxious to find out the future direction of the series. I can't wait to hear what you guys think, and congrats on another great Danganronpa series. All the best, Dave. Thanks for that, Dave. Um, yeah. yeah. Anything you guys want to add to the comments that he made that uh, we didn't cover before? I, I feel like we covered most of that. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I it, it, You look at it from two different directions. You look at it from the writer saying, hey, I'm writing this message of basically I'm done with these games and I want to say you're killing characters and it's all your fault and we're ending it. Or you can look at it how I'm looking at it like, hey, this is a video game. Don't write <laughs> yourself into a corner. Come on. Yep. Uh, are we? I don't know, Drew. Do you think maybe you're not giving Kodaka enough respect and believing that he would write himself into a corner for no good reason? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that uh, there's a way to get out of this. Like I could easily say, you know, come easily. Up, I can easily. <laughs> I will tell you how they could start Danganronpa okay, V4. Please, by me, yeah. by all means. Danganronpa V4, like uh, uh, the the mastermind, like. Uh, Samugi said is that she obviously we we have hinted at that she has done something illegal maybe she did kidnap these people and she was holding some kind of uh killing game broadcasted over the internet illegally right mm-hmm. uh there was no this isn't Danganronpa 53 this is just her lying about it uh, and um, maybe she's working for an organization who is nuts and wants the whole wants to do you know bring despair to the world again. And somebody else from the organization is going to kidnap a whole bunch of other students and put them in another killing game via the internet. You know, I mean, it's uh, there, there's ways to make it work. And. Mm. 
but let's revisit the fact that the uh, the creator Kodaka went on record to say that Danganronpa V3, obviously, even though it it alludes many a times that it is connected to the events of Post PK Academy, is actually in fact not right because those are works of fiction, so they they don't you know matter in the fact of this case in particular. You know, Makoto, uh, Byakuya, those guys don't come out and say like, "Haha, you know, we we're here all along." None of that, right? So because of that. So you're saying that this is still some way tied to like remnant of despair or something like that? It could be. It could be a something completely different. What I'm what I'm saying is is that she could have been lying to us about every goddamn thing. Yep. This, Which was kind of the theme of the game. Yeah, she could have been lying to us about this is a television show. You guys all volunteered to come here. She she could be lying. Hey, I actually am a remnant of despair, and I can cosplay as any of these fucking characters. And I can basically become Junko. You know, I mean, she could have been lying about all that stuff. And, you know, and we're left with uh, basically the beginning of, or the ending of Danganronpa 1, where they go out into the world and they don't know what it is. You know, what's out there, you know? But how do you explain the final scene in the epilogue where they're they're inside looking outside into the, you know, well, inside the academy and looking looking towards the outside world then there is nothing outside the only well, thing that there's you see nothing is... that the developer wants us to see yeah. i mean that could just be obfuscation and i don't know i think i think it feels pretty clear, crystal clear on what they're trying to portray about their meaning and what they're trying to imply being about our world and not just you know this fictional world where the audience was the mastermind I mean, that may be true. All I'm saying is, is there is ways to make a sequel. Certainly is ways. I mean, you can say like, oh, it was just a fever dream that Makoto had, you know? It's like, you could, you could, do, you could do a lot of stupid things. But I feel like that would be really bad. Like, anything that you could do, I feel like it'd be bad. You know but what I mean? Only I don't think that's a game good three. way to do it. If, if that's the case, then why did he even leave in the whole, oh, I'm uh, the copycat criminal whatever why do you leave that in i feel like there are some aspects of the thing aspects of the case or this particular uh, game that wants to be left ambiguous so that uh, people can try to figure it out on their own because uh, a lot of the a lot of the mysteries like the thing that i told you about the connection that i made from the very beginning of what, how kaede got uh, kidnapped and how it doesn't make sense for them to have volunteered her being a criminal that being tied in with she doing something in Illegal. There are some more things to discover, maybe, but kind of leaving people hanging and not giving definite answers is a marquee method of like mystery writers and the like. You always never answer every question. You always cut to black right before something else. Especially if you're gonna have a sequel. Exactly. Yeah, that's very possible. <laughs> that's why we're enjoying the brand new season of Sopranos, right? That's uh, that's been very good. Even though Tony Soprano's been dead after they cut to black, we. I'm just making a joke. Because you know we never got a sequel to The Sopranos, but I'm hoping that's kind of what they're going. For. But we all want different things. Like I'm very conflicted. Obviously, I, I want it, but I don't want it. But I want it. You know. So yeah. it's like I, I get exactly what what Dave is saying. Uh, and also, I agree in the fact that from an enjoyment standpoint, from a character standpoint, I think this is the weakest one. Um, I think the characters could have been more interesting, but obviously that plays into the whole idea that like they they weren't actual ultimates. So there are reasonings for it, but it doesn't make it any more satisfying yeah. because yep. of the reasoning. So that is a thing. I also but, thought the murders were the weakest of the three. Uh, I like I like the first case a lot. Like 
I think uh, I think the whole main character being first was my wor- least favorite. No, I, I'm I'm the complete opposite. I love the first one because I didn't I didn't expect the the main character to be switched and the tragedy of Kaede being killed off for a crime she never committed in the very first case, uh, and the all the preceding events following it. I thought that was very powerful of a motivation to kind of switch uh, switch Shuichi to become the main character to try to become more confident. It was a good uh, good plot point or good script. As Sumugi said, you know, it was a good way to people, for people to get invested, and I certainly did. Yeah, I um, think they glossed over some of the things that they were trying to gloss over. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand. Uh, we went over exactly yep. what we're, you know, what and, you're talking and the, about. And the same thing in the second case with Ryuma, you know, missing that. I feel like they missed that there was another character with black gloves. There were many characters with black cloth. I think, and, I think, I think the black. Gloves didn't even that, that didn't matter as much as the texture of the the gloves themselves um, is what I was saying because the texture of uh, Kurumi's glove was supposed to be very specific. It's like it's almost like silken gloves, and um, you know it was supposed to be like wear or something like that. No one else had gloves like that. Yeah, I, I kind of like buy that. that, not fully, but kind of. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, but I understand. But the thing separately, that, the friction. I don't think the friction would have pulled off a, a chunk of the glove. I think it would have just wore a hole in the glove. I th- I think you're getting a little nitpicky at that point. I, yeah, I, I don't. Maybe maybe I am. I just I never I didn't feel that way in the other, the other games. Uh, maybe maybe you know the maybe the cases weren't written as uh well. Uh, that's something that you can you can argue with the how the first case ended and how the it toilet things paper it. in the VR world. Um, toilet. Oh yeah, that's yeah, not a problem that it was just rolled back up. No explanation. No in-world reason for it. Just well, we need it to be rolled up. So it's not an obvious giveaway. Therefore, it just is. Yeah, it, yeah. It, none, none of these are big things. I'm not trying to say they're in and of themselves deal breakers, but there were enough of them that, to me, it, it detracted from one of my one of my things I like the most about these games, which is the intricacies of the murders. I feel like they glossed over some things and yeah. didn't didn't have them quite as neatly pl- 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 uh, planned out or laid out as, as they did in the previous games. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was the murders themselves. It was the characters. It was all the assumptions and the ending. I, I still enjoyed the game, to be fair, but none of the parts I thought were as good as the previous games. Yeah. Okay. Well, Drew, like Matt just basically laid out how he feels about the game as a whole. Like, what do you feel? It was a good game. Um, mm-hmm. I the, like that. Just I didn't like the way it went as far as the end goes. You know? Sure. Sure. When 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 I am such a, so invested in this the story and 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 him tying stuff into Hoax Peaks Academy is fine, but then I really hate the fact that they basically made the first two games irrelevant. See, that's the thing that I I don't I don't agree with. It's like because one of the whole point of the game is that even if it's fiction, it doesn't make it. A, you know, any less meaningful. I mean, it was already fiction to us, right? The, it, the first things are fiction. They're, it didn't happen to real people. So, does it matter if it's fake real or fake fake? I mean, yeah, fake fake just makes it even more... Fake? Fake. I mean, it just, it just makes it even more like, uh, I, I don't care. I feel like we have this mental block about the difference between fake real and fake fake. That, I think it's uh, a legitimate difference, though. Yeah, it, it's, it, it is. It is. I understand. But from a logical standpoint, they're both fake. 
So, you know, whatever media you garnered, whatever connections and the feelings that you had playing through the games, learning about the characters and seeing what happens to them, I think that's what we should focus on. And in that way or in that, you know, in that idea or in that perception, it doesn't matter that it's became fake. Fake, I feel exactly the same way about, the, you know, the first two Danganronpa games, about those characters. Like, the fact that Chiaki was fake, fake, fake because she was a vr interpretation of someone that used to be alive but died but it was a amalgamation of the memories that she had of the character so you know what i mean like it gets fucking crazy the characters are fake 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 chiaki didn't really die in danganronpa 2 she died in danganronpa 3 in the whole peak academy anime right and her death was fucking painful it like broke my heart when it happened when i saw it it doesn't make that hurt any less. It doesn't make me think any less of that moment about it, how you know how impactful it was because I learned this fact to me. It is true, but at the same time, because of the reality that you're you're in, mm-hmm. since it didn't necessarily matter to the characters that you care about now, it shouldn't matter to you. It, it, like that's shouldn't I mean, it? Shouldn't no, it? It doesn't to me. Like like the fact that. None of that shit actually happened. Like it just it kind of erases everything. Like, what the fuck did I do in the first two games? Then, I, yeah, that's. I, I guess I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that. I, I, part, I, play, I, think, I, I played think. a movie inside of a movie. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like I don't know. Uh, I, I get it. I get I, that's based, that's mostly that's kind of a majority consensus on that front. So I can't you know, I can't argue with the way you feel about some things, but I do question why we feel that way in a lot of ways because I feel like we're almost programmed to think that way because of a lot of the entertainment that we've had in, in the past and what we value uh like because we feel like oh it was a, it was a it was a dream sequence so it was it was pointless but there's value in, in everything depend whether it was fake fake or fake real or fake 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 or fake fake real so there's categories of things that you can put into things but mm-hmm. as long as as long as you're able to get garner some kind of meaning behind it as long as you're able to make a connection as long as the pain the happiness you feel is real it's it's just as real as it ne- ever needs to be and even better if you're able to change your mind about things or maybe try maybe it asks you some questions that uh you're not comfortable answering yeah. I think I think I think that's very important, and that's something I think this game does that no other game has done in the series. And I, I applaud the uh, the team for doing that. I think. Uh, yeah. See, I, I don't think I don't feel like it did that for me at yeah, all. Yeah. I. Um, I, think, I think it raised the question, but I think it raised a question based on false assumptions. It it, it never went beyond that because I I don't agree with the assumptions that they make. And I just I never got to the point where I could even really contemplate how I feel about the equivalency of fake fake versus real fake. Well, I don't know. Maybe it just resonated to you differently than it did to me. Oh. Like I said, I'm I'm someone that's you know very very empathetic. I I like cling on to things very quickly. I tear up very fast whenever something sad happens. Uh, whether it, it's huh? you know so. Things will resonate to you differently based on your personality, based on your pers- uh, based on your past experiences. So that's all valid. Like I said, there's there's no false false uh, false way to um, respond to this at all. No one should ever tell anyone uh, their what they feel about certain things is you know is is is, is not valid. You, know, yeah. you feel a certain way about something that's just the way you feel. You can't you yeah. can't change anything about it. You can try to reason it. You can try to look at it logically. But 
that won't change anything, really. You know, you can understand why, but the feeling remains, right? So I'm glad we had this discussion, guys. Like, I can understand that you guys don't really agree with the with the way I feel, but that also gives me hope that this is also open to a lot of different interpretations. Yeah. So maybe there really is no deeper meaning. Maybe this is just another video game. Uh, but we'll see. Time will tell from this one. Because if we, if if you listen to another podcast and Drew opens up saying, "Welcome <laughs> to another episode of Danganronpa for Phoenix Down." Then you'll know I'll probably be there, and I'll be very, very quiet for a long time, <laughs> or very talkative. Either way, I mean, this is all on recording now. I can't take any of this back, and I'm happy to do so because I've always put you guys additions, yep. where you have to make uh, uh, predictions and uh, assumptions and uh, put you guys on the spot. And uh, now it's my turn, right? Yeah. Well, now it's everyone's turn. And um, going to, going back to those questions, let's talk about uh, how how well we did. Okay. So the favorite characters that you want to survive, uh, we wanted, uh, Drew, you wanted Shuichi and Kibo to live. And um, Shuichi survived, but unfortunately Kibo self-destructed at the end. So yeah. that is unfortunate. And Matt, my man, you, you're 2-3. Very, very good score for Shuichi and Maki both surviving till the very end. This is a prediction you made at the very beginning of the game. So getting, getting two out of three right is actually very impressive, considering that there's only three survivors for the game. Um, the theories that we made um, were just pretense. I knew none of us, none of you guys would get it right by any means whatsoever. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed the way they kind of shuffled along. But I will say that, Drew, you were a tiny bit closer in the idea that the memories that they were getting uh, were fake, right? The flashback light being a way to implant memory is something that you were hinting at before. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't plan out the idea that you know they were really creating ultimate for some kind of a sinister purpose, or rather, this was some kind of a you know lali lula lo training for Shuichi or something like that. That never panned out. But other than that, um, pretty much, pretty much on the ball. But uh, Matt, you were close to the reality that Sumugi has set up. You're basically ba- basically right there. Right. Yeah, I, I fell for all the. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Hints. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, you know, you you followed those hints and you went there. It just happened to be the red herring ending or red yeah. herring theory that you fall into. But at the same time, like I said, nobody could have seen exactly where this game was going. The way it just obliterates the fourth wall, the message that it has. So don't don't feel bad, <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, you guys said uh, there is no more. You guys both changed your answer to there not being a mastermind among the students. But unfortunately, Sumugi was. And technically, she really wasn't either. So you guys were both right and incorrect at the same time. We were both kind of correct. So enjoy that. So Because the viewers are actually the, the mastermind, the audience. Uh, we basically you know, decided uh, someone definitely will die. Drew, you said Sumugi would die by the end of it. So correct. The mastermind didn't die. Uh, you believe uh, Himiko would die, Matt, but... For some odd reason, Himiko survived, even though she did very little in the series. Yeah, I, I liked the little story arc of growing up as a character after the death of Tenko and Anji. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as far as the actual, like, her contribution to everything and what what followed, um, didn't, didn't really happen. I asked, also asked, what is the inner voice represented by Kibo? You both believed that it was the voice of Makoto, but it was actually the voice of the audience, the, the players themselves. And there we have it, guys. Yeah, we, you guys did pretty well. You guys, uh, you guys, you guys did a, you guys did a good job of predicting things. I enjoyed the way your theories uh, shifted based on the evidence that was presented to you. Um, but once again, if you tell me, as as someone that played this game, 
not being spoiled by anyone, and you you knew exactly how this game was gonna go at the very end of the game, I would call you a liar, <laughs> right? Like that's pretty safe of an assumption to make, right? Someone's trying to feel good about themselves and lie about something they didn't actually accomplish. Is is the way I feel about that? So, yeah. So man. so by that, do you mean that there are literally no hints in the beginning of the game? I, I I'm curious, slightly curious, not curious enough to do it, but. To go back through and play through the first, you know, two, three, four chapters and see if there's any hint at all. The the hint that uh, Sumugi was lying about the video about them volunteering is obviously that that uh, footage uh, that uh, of Kaede being kidnapped. That's that's a connection that you can make. There's some other very subtle things that you can look into, but there's other than, other than that, there is no like definitive contradictory evidence. Of anything that Sumugi says, so you can basically believe everything she said, except for several, except for a few things, like them volunteering, uh, the video clip that they showed uh, about some of the ideas about Hope Sweet Academy, whether it was actually true or not, whether it actually took place or not. That is also kind of up in the air to some degree. But what Shuichi says at the end, in, content, uh, in contention with what happens at the beginning, so there is a possibility that Hope's Peak One and Two did well. You know, Danganronpa One and Two event did actually take place, and this was just something uh, that uh, you know something that she tried to do as a copycat criminal uh, to try to reproduce something that happened in the past, not so much in the world of fiction but as a way of uh, copying something that happened in their reality. So that is also open to interpretation, whether that's true or not. I think the people that are hopeful that there will be another game will cling to that idea. Uh, rightfully so, because, I mean, there's just as much evidence to say that it was real as it was fake. So, yeah. If they want to continue Rumpa, then they'll most likely stick to that point. But if they don't want to, then they'll just continue with the idea that it is all fake and fiction. So uh, the last um, email is actually a voicemail, and I'm going to play that right now. Junko Enoshima is ready for her epic entrance. <laughs> At least that's what I was uh, focused on when we started this chapter, so much so that I had completely forgotten that Kiba was blowing the place up. Uh, we all kind of had a laugh about that on Twitter, but yeah, I had completely forgotten about the Kibo story. So um, when I turned on the game after a week, I was like, holy shit, I don't know how I left this for all this time. But anyways, I got back in and right back at it. So once we find out that uh, the secret room is open or we can get into the secret room and we go in there... I thought right off the bat that Sumugi was acting a little bit weird. Not so much that I had suspected her right away, but as soon as she freaked out about Himiko getting stuck in there, and especially once we found the the secret passage, I thought for sure that they were pushing us in the direction of Sumugi being uh, the mastermind, which was a little bit irritating because I hadn't actually expected there to be a mastermind. I don't know if you guys noticed, but in my emails, I don't think I talked about a mastermind. Um, I was still under the impression or under the belief that they were in some sort of a computer program. And uh, much like in the second game, it was like an AI or the program that was running everything. So I was not convinced that there was even a mastermind to begin with. But we get into, you know, the trial and it becomes clearer and clearer that it was Samugi. And she sure took a really long time to admit it too, which was a little bit strange. I'm not really sure what I think about all of like the outfits and wigs and everything that were floating around her. But I mean, this is Danganronpa, so whatever. Um, I still don't really know if I buy the fiction story. It, it seems strange, but the worst part about it, I mean, even if it's true, it, that's fine. But I think the worst part about the ending to me is the, how ambiguous it is. Um, 
it really bothers me that they just kind of say, and they say it several times, that uh, this is just um, one of the worlds where Danganronpa is fictional. And all their lives are fictional and everything, too. But I just, like, I guess it could be in a different universe. That's fine. But they kind of push it at you a few times. And it almost seems like maybe they're trying to salvage the other story for other stories to come along, too, and make it maybe not fiction because this is in a different sort of world. And they even complicate that further in the very end uh, when they say that, oh, well, this could all be a lie. I'm not sure 100% what all the different endings say, but in my ending, which was apparently the bad ending, um, they say, well, we don't really know. I mean, she said that all of our memories and everything that we know was fictional, but we don't know if that's the truth or not. Uh, So spoilers. Uh, my characters made it out, so all three of them survived, aside from Kibo. Kibo died, I guess, blowing up the uh, dome, I guess, that they were under. So, But Tsumugi, or whatever she's called, um, and Monokuma and Kibo all die, which is a little bit sad. I had some issues, um, definitely some disappointment when it comes to Kibo, because I really thought that he was um, going to be more than what he ended up being and I mean I guess he did get them out and that's great and everything but I really thought that he would be more connected with Makoto and it was I'm not sure if if I just missed it or if it's actually part of the game or, or what but seemed to me like the mastermind didn't actually change into Makoto at any of that I, I saw Hajime and I saw a whole bunch of others but I don't think I saw Makoto so I'm not really sure what that means um I don't know if that means that he doesn't exist in the universe or if he's just I, maybe they were lying the whole time and it is real and he just couldn't be replicated. I have no idea. But um, definitely when they when uh, when Junko said that she was the 53rd, I was really excited because I still thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I could salvage my story a little bit and she's a clone and that'll be so exciting. But yeah, I guess not. Um, I think all of the endings were very similar, but I'm sure you guys are going to go through all of them, so I won't go into that. But I guess I could talk a little bit about the trial. Um, It was really interesting um, that the monocubs were useful for something other than being so cute. Um, Yeah, I guess they were just there to fight us, sort of, in the the last, you know, uh, trial, but... Because I wondered who we were going to trial against when uh, Shuichi brought us into that, but... It was interesting, but the most gratifying part of that was just ignoring the mini games. <laughs> I think I failed the first time because, um, you know, I went into Hangman's Gambit and I was like, all right, fine, okay, I've got to select Hope here. So I started selecting Hope and then it said, yeah, no, try again. So, the, oh, okay, well, that's exciting. So then I just ignored it and it felt fantastic. And then I uh, went into the taxi one and again, I just ignored it, let the time go down, and that was really satisfying. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about the game. I guess that the, you know, the ending wasn't fantastic and it's not my favorite of all of them. Uh, but it was, it was still really fun. Maybe I hyped it up a little bit too much. Um, and maybe that's why I'm not as excited about it as I was about the other ones. But I don't know. I kind of hyped up the other ones too after listening to you guys talk about the first game. So I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, really glad you guys decided to cover it, especially right before NaNoWriMo. I, I was a little bit worried that you might leave it off till November and then I wouldn't get to do it. But no, it all turned out well. So thanks very much, guys. And I look forward to the next Dang and Rampa. Hopefully there is another one and hopefully it has a better ending. <laughs>
And we're back. I had to do a little silent thing for a minute there so I could splice it in. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. Uh, and to address Jamie's uh, voicemail, thank you for sending me the sending us a voicemail. And thank you for sticking along with us, Jamie. And everyone yeah. else that decided to either listen along or play along. Um, I know these are long. I know I, I start to repeat myself times. I'm trying to correct myself on it, but uh, it's a hard it's a hard habit to break, certainly. But uh, I'll come, I'll keep trying. Uh, some of the things that she mentions is that the end is left ambiguous. I I agree. Do you guys agree with that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now I think that is there for mostly for the fans, so they can kind of cling to hope. Maybe maybe that's something that the audience wants, right? Just like how. How Maki, Shuichi, and Himiko being alive is by the will of the audience, will of the people. That is something that they desired, and that's what they want. And obviously, well, I I wanted them to have lived after the whole thing. Did you guys want them to have lived? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can say that Kibo did follow the the will of the audience in that way by letting them live, right? Yeah. I, yeah I I, so. I, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, Jamie mentioned something interesting that I didn't I didn't think about is Jamie believes that there are multiple endings and um other than the bad ending that you can get uh there, you can actually get another ending other than the fake bad ending that we get throughout the course of the trial by doing something else but there are no multiple endings. Yeah, it sounded like Jamie got the same one we got. Yeah, that this is this is the final ending. This is the ending that everyone gets when they beat the game. There is a bad you can get in between that is very depressing if you want to YouTube it and knock yourself out. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's um, it's something that doesn't exist. Now, so don't worry about that. There is also another ending. I only saw it in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually beat the very beginning of the game. Somebody actually beat that gauntlet run. Oh, dude, I gotta watch. It is possible. You need to give me the link. It is possible. It's in Japanese and there is an ending and you get a bad ending. Okay. Oh, man. Does it have, like, subtitles? Because I want to know what they say, too. I I have no idea. I just... Oh, I gotta search for that because that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, It'd be funny because they open the door and they see the apocalyptic landscape, right? So... (laughs) What do you do when you see that at the first? Uh, That is actually funny because... God, the amount, the amount of trial and error to get through that part must have been insane. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good to know. Uh, and Jamie also pointed out that um, Sumugi never transforms into Makoto, but I had to tell you, she transforms into Makoto many times. Yeah. Many, many times. She does. Uh, usually, usually when she's talking about hope especially, um, she also transforms into Nagito at the crucial points as well, as long as uh, basically every, every character is covered. That appeared in the Danganronpa one and two. None of the anime characters, though. So if you're looking for like future foundation members in there, but if you're looking at Hope's Peak uh, characters, then they they certainly are. Uh, but yeah, that's basically it. It seems like Jamie um, felt very much in line with you guys, along with Dave, about how she feels kind of unsatisfied with the ending. And um, yeah, I think we basically covered why we feel that way and what the, what it could all mean. So. Yeah. Anything? Anything you guys want to add? Because I, you know, I talk my ass off. I want to hear some final thoughts from you guys. How do you think the series will go? What do you, What are your thoughts about the series at this point? And I still love the series. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I I feel like uh, it's uh, one of the most compelling uh, story driven games I've played in a long time. Um, I hope it continues. I really do. I I I want to see this. You know. Um. How does it go? No clue. Like they they went completely off the rails with this one, to the point where I was like, I you can't you don't know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, is it all TV show? Who the fuck knows? Matt, some final yeah. thoughts. Uh, essentially the same. I hope that they do make a fourth one. I hope that it's more in line with the first two and that mm-hmm. we can just sweep this one, call it a <laughs> call it a failed experiment, and move on. Okay. Perhaps, perhaps this really is just a, the black sheep of a long, longer-running series to the future, right? Uh, it could very well be. Because uh, I've been to some you know, message boards and seen some comments and stuff like that. And the consensus is that I don't think this was almost anyone's like favorite Danganronpa game. And I get it. It's not I had, I had, Looking back on it, I had a weird few brief flashes of, oh, I really love this right now. You know, like when they first got into the VR world and, you know, I, I, oh, yeah, that's I, I, I had this awesome. moment of, all right, I, I can get my head around the rules of this world. They're fairly straightforward. It's restricted area. I'm going to be able to figure this one out. And, like, again, coming back to what, what certainly one of my favorite ways or experiences in this game, and I would imagine it's true for most people, is, you know, trying to figure out the, the murders, how, how they happened, who did it. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's what it is, a mystery game. Yeah. Although, you know, on, on a kind of a, kind of a separate note, they it, it's not really set up like that's the way you should play it, though. Like, And I'm thinking more along the lines of old-school kind of Agatha Christie stories where they kind of give you all the clues, let you ruminate on it, marinate, and then go to the ending. In all of the Danganronpa games, I didn't really have a full theory until we're doing the the uh, debate. You know, once after the investigation's over and we're actually in the class trial, you know, to withhold an amount, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, of the evidence and of like the the logic until the class trial means that I can't really get my head around a full theory early in. And and then have it change as much throughout. I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I was just missing things. But I, but wouldn't that be boring, Matt? If you knew exactly who done it from the very beginning, like wouldn't you just be going through the motions at that point, just not really getting any revelations, just kind of be plotting through this two and a half hour long class trial section? Uh, let me just get to the voting part. I know who it is already. I wouldn't want that. Well, that, that's assuming that you can figure it out based on the evidence. But I feel like if I don't get evidence until five minutes before I'm voting. Then I couldn't even have I couldn't even have incorporated that into my uh, into my theory. Mm-hmm. And no, that, I understand. You know, and, and and then had a way to change it and be like, oh, now you know, the thing that was given to me a long time ago, I just wasn't looking at it the right way. Instead, they just withheld it. I, I would say that they do some of that, but they also do a lot of things where the evidence was kind of in front of you, looking at you straight in the face, and yeah. you just don't realize it's important until another contact is uh, is kind of uh, illuminated in front of you. So when you look at it from a different angle, different perspective, that bit of evidence or the lack thereof sometimes actually becomes even more enlightening. Uh, that becomes something that uh, makes the case more interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think this in any sure. way like detracts from it. I just thought it was an interesting... It, it, it's a difference from the way that sort of the Agatha Christie stories, I feel like, are laid out. Yeah, I think that's why I don't like the Agatha Crystal stories too much. I think I tried to read one and I got bored. But uh, I'm sure there are some good ones out there, and there's a lot, right? Yeah, or or, or other ones like, you know, Monk, Psych, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Poro, all, you know, yeah. all, the, all, the, all the sort of key mystery stories. 
I, I've read a share few of uh, like Sherlock Holmes, but this does mystery a lot differently. Yeah, much different. It has, it has it has its own style, and that's one of the reasons why we gravitate towards, towards yep. it. I think. Yep. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention about listening to Jamie's email, uh, I mean Jamie's voicemail, is something that I think she and a lot of people do, and this is by no means like a negative thing, but I've noticed a pattern that once they make predictions and then it doesn't, it turns out that it's not true, they they don't feel good about it. They feel like feel like they lost. They feel like they were defeated in some way. And I don't think that's what making predictions are about. I'm not I didn't make you guys um uh, make predictions about things like what what's really going on and the like uh, about your theories because I wanted you guys to feel bad at the end when obviously no one could ever get the thing that happens. I made it so that along the path, along the journey, you could try to collaborate the evidence that you're getting with your theory, try to change it and try to make it shape it into something that feels more real. That makes you more invested in the story. Uh, you know, while you're trying to figure things out, it makes you feel yep. like you're part of the storytelling. And that's the reason why I do it. I don't I don't do it to make people feel bad because they couldn't get it right. The reason why I, I have you picked your favorite characters, because I'm I'm curious about your favorite characters and why you gravitate towards your characters. And when you have those characters on the list that you want to survive, when they die It'll hit you a little harder. You know, you'll be more invested in it, and that's that's the whole point of these predictions. And I feel like Jamie and a lot of people that I've seen, when their predictions don't come true about their theories or whether who is going to be the blackened or who's going to be killed or whatever, they they feel like they feel disappointed because what they wanted to happen didn't happen. But for me, and perhaps I'm I'm odd in feeling this way when I'm proven wrong, and it's done in a clever way where you know it makes sense. I'm happy about that. I hate being right about mysteries. I hate it. I go into some kind of a mystery mystery novel and then am able to like guess the killer near the beginning. Or I watch like a movie of the same like and then guess the killer or guess whatever the main twist would be. That's boring to me. I, I got nothing out of that, you know? So it's kinda like when you fight like a boss in a in a video game, right? Some person would fight that boss l- lose once and then feel frustrated, annoyed, and angry at the game for beating them. When I, when I, you know, when I fight a boss that beats me, beats me fair and square, mind you. I know there's a lot of cheap tactics. That's a different matter, different discussion. But if it's fair and square, I just wasn't good enough. I just didn't see the patterns, and it defeated me. I sit up in my chair. I was like, oh, okay. Now, now it's on. Well, I'm that actually, now. that is really analogous because in the same way, like you said, I, I don't want to to decipher the whole mystery up front yes I, I want to be wrong but if you're wrong because you know the rules changed mm-hmm. or things weren't presented correctly that's like cheap tactics on a, yes. on a video game yes. boss I, you, I, completely I want to be wrong but i want to be wrong in the way yeah um, i think that's key, and i think that's where this game to me betrayed me a little bit yeah a little bit i don't i obviously like you said it yourself i don't think it does it in a game-breaking way but there's a lot of little little things you know, that amount to, you know, something that we're exploring because there's more than just like one nitpicky things, whether the other games were much tighter, you know, in their presentation and uh, I guess the little gaps in their storytelling. And uh, that's a valid complaint to make, I, I believe. And I also mirrored that complaint, too. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like this game as much as the other games uh, from just a uh, purely uh, play- playability. But uh, my point was that don't feel bad about your theories coming not coming true. 
feel feel good about it. You know, the game the game is going in a different direction that you didn't expect. Get excited to find out what's happening next. You know, don't feel bad about yourself, your intelligence, or whatever you're thinking of. Like it's good, it's good. This is this is all part of it. You know, this is all part of that learning experience. And I think when you look at it from that perspective, you shouldn't get as frustrated about things getting wrong and uh, and the like. So maybe if there is another game that we do that has a heavy emphasis on mystery. Uh, then if you try to come from that perspective, you'll have a better time with it. Okay. Well, that's a good way to end the show, then. I uh, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for being on this series. Yeah, hey, absolutely. Yeah. This is a, it's, it's, it's a journey every time we do this. Yeah, It would not have been the same or half as good without you. Exactly. Thank you, thank you very much for that, guys. I, I do appreciate it. But um, I, you know, I knew what I was getting into when I was doing this. This, the flapping of these 14 pages of notes that I took for the last class trial uh, and all the other pages of notes that I just kind of sat there watching the thing and doing the thing for hours. It's all it's all been worth it just for the discussions that we've had. Because I've been sitting on these feelings for a long time. <laughs> I've, I've talked to other people that have also finished it, but I think when we were able to op- uh, like openly discuss it, you know, not just with uh, with ourselves, but also like an audience that's following along. It's cathartic. It's good. It's a good experience. So Definitely. I'm happy to be here. All right, but yeah, that's it for us. I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, you can follow us all on Twitter. I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS, and Jay is at Batuside J. The podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Uh, it's an email. It's Drew at ZTGD.com. Uh, the next game. Uh, the next series that we're going to be doing through the month of November is going to be me and Sophie, and we're going to be playing through Alan Wake. So if anybody wants to play along with us on that one, I'm sure you can find it pretty cheap. I'm going to be playing the PC version. Uh, but yeah, uh, that'll be our next game, and then after that is going to be Dead Space 2. So two kind of nice. spooky games back-to-back to make up for October. But yeah, that's it for us. Uh, I'm going to get out of here because it is almost midnight and I have to get up at 5 a.m. It's like, Drew, you guys don't know this, but he turns into uh, into a princess every time it's midnight. So it's like the, it's like the opposite of Cinderella. He yeah. turns into a princess at 12, after 12 o'clock, so he's got he's to go to sleep right away. Yeah. Pretty, pretty princess. Yes, he does. Beautiful. So uh, that'll be it for us. Uh, but we're out of here until next time. I am Drew. And I'm Matt. I'm Jay, and rest in peace, Danganronpa. (laughs) And we're out of here. We'll catch you guys next week with the beginning of Alan Wake.